Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Hope everybody's having a good Wednesday. I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We got a packed Wednesday show for you to lead you into Thanksgiving. Maybe you're traveling. Uh, or staying home. Who knows what you're doing? Hopefully you're not working. That's the last thing I hope you're doing. We're going to talk to my old radio cohort, Brian Haydad, covers Mississippi State for Super Talk Mississippi, Sports Talk Mississippi, three to six every day. Got into a lot of stuff regarding Will Rogers, how he's transformed from a guy that they brought a couple quarterbacks in in camp to kind of push him, maybe create a little competition to he is absolutely the future of the position. And I don't know what that means for the guys behind him, particularly Sawyer Robertson, what went into his evolution as a quarterback, what's worked about the Mike Leak system, some defensive stuff, and then some real football at the end. Hey, Dad is a big Chelsea fan, so Soccer Corner lives on on the Wednesday show. And then after that, we got a special Tuesday edition of Fresh Cuts where LB's Greg comes on and makes the picks for the week. Figured we get that out of the way for Thanksgiving, get our Egg Bowl pick in there, and do that before the Friday show because Friday – just to give you guys a little heads up, I think we're going to do Weldon for about 30, 35 minutes. He's at a family reunion uh, on top of his Thanksgiving weekend. And then I'm going to bring Chase Parham on. Some of you might know him better as Chance. I hadn't really understood that in sort of joke yet, but you see it enough times, uh, whatever. And Chase will talk some, uh, some Egg Bowl reaction with me on Friday. So we'll have you guys covered with the Friday show as well. Don't you worry about that. Just switching up the order a bit with a lot of uh, Thursday Thanksgiving football. So buckle up. It's going to be a great show. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the industry. Skybox has a lot going on right now. You think college football season's winding down? They might be winding down too. False. The exact opposite. Skybox has some awesome stuff going on here. Uh, where do I even start? Let's start with the contest they have going right now. So right now, they're if you go to skyboxsportspicks.com and you sign up for a package and use the promo code CONTEST, 25% off, uh, not to be confused with the promo code RIPPY, use this week, use the word con, promo code CONTEST. It's the same thing. They'll know we sent you. And then you refer, uh, refer others. If you refer someone else, that's an additional entry. So you got to go buy a package, use the promo code CONTEST, then follow Skybox on Twitter. That's at Skybox Picks and retweet the tweet. So at, at Skybox Picks and at Skybox NASCAR, just for uh, good measure, retweet it. And you'll be entered in a random drawing for a $100 giveaway. And second place gets one week of all picks free. So that's Skybox's giveaway. Go buy a package this week with the promo code CONTEST. Any referrals, you can DM to Skybox on Twitter. Go follow them on Twitter and retweet the tweet they have pinned at the top of their page, and that's going to get you in the contest. So check that out. And then on top of that, Skybox college basketball season heating up. That is by far their best model. That is their words, not mine, which is hard to believe with how much they're crushing it on the NFL. No one's hotter on the NFL than Skybox right now. You can, Right now, you can go to skybox.com slash free play, and you can get a free play every day. So Skybox, so basketball lines are a little different. They only come out the day of. So they're going to post daily free plays at skyboxsportspicks.com slash free play. And you can get a free play every day on that. How about that? Skybox, hooking it up for the people. Check them out. They're going to have a picks package that fits your price range, month long, season long. You need to check these guys out. No one's hotter in the NFL. Another profitable weekend in college football. They're going to lead you to profit more consistently than your own brain. I can promise you that. Check them out. 
Awesome stuff going on there. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. We got him on the backside of the show telling you what's going on at the store. Maybe you're not a turkey guy. Go see him. He'll hook you up with uh, some other delicious meats for your Thanksgiving meal. Maybe some sides, some uh, jalapeno poppers, crab stuffed mushrooms, all kinds of delicious stuff going on with Greg at Skybox. Excuse me, Greg. I can't talk today. Greg at LV's University Avenue across from Kroger. Best place in Mississippi to get meat. Oxford's so lucky to have it. Check them out if you're in the area before Thanksgiving. I promise you won't regret it. All right, here we go. Let's get to Brian Haydad. Got a pack show. Buckle up. All right, we now welcome on my former Super Talk Radio partner in crime cohort, Richard Cross Instigator, Brian Haydad, here to talk uh, all things EPL. We might get to some Egg Bowl at the end. What's up, my friend? What's going on, man? It's been too long. How you doing? Man, we've been good. Uh, things rocking along. It's kind of, see, kind of hard to believe football season is already over. I, uh, you know, I've not, I'm not one to get like wax poetic about like football season and college football season and all that. But after just the hellish year we had last year, I really enjoyed just having football Saturday, full stadium and all that all of your year. And then all of a sudden, I remember like halfway through that Vanderbilt game last week, probably because I was so bored watching it. I was like, damn, this is over. Like the, yeah. this regular season over. It goes by you have quick. To appreciate every down because you really only get do. so many of them. I know it every week because I that the month of October, I had this take with a buddy the other night. The month of October, I think, might go by faster than any month on the calendar. I believe, it. I, believe I get it. that people love Christmas, but there's nothing like October baseball, football, weather cool. The best sports month of the year. It's not even close. Yes, I agree. I think like the only other argument would be like March would probably March. be second place. Yeah. Yeah. March you could get, but for me, October, when you have. Pro football, college football, you got the world, the baseball playoffs. The NBA starts up. EPL is starting to heat, to heat up. You've got some NHL if you're into that. You can't beat it. It's a one seed, and March is a distant two. I could not agree more. How are things on your end? How's the radio going? Uh, still taking shit from Richard? What's what's that dynamic like? I give to Richard. I don't. That's what I like to hear. Uh, it's going really well. It's going really well right now, and uh, you know the podcast is doing well. I feel like my brand is ever expanding. This is the third. You are the third person to want to interview me today. Wow. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm just making moves out here in the media world. Your publicist did not mention that when we booked you, but thank, thank you and him, her for him or her for the time. So uh, I'm glad we got that on the schedule. Um, speaking of things going well, Mississippi State been playing really good football for the second half of this season. And it's interesting because – I watched so I, Ole Miss and State, for whatever reason, it seemed like for the second half of the football season, played at the same time a lot. Because I watched State's – I watched the game against Louisiana Tech. I watched part of Memphis – no, Ole Miss played at three. I didn't watch part of that. There was two other games I watched at the beginning of the year. But I swear it feels like they played at the same time NC in an abnormal amount of times this year. NC State were at the same time. LSU yes. State was the 11 a.m. game and. And Ole Miss was later in the day. Or Ole Miss was off that week, actually, now that I think about it. so Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And I did watch most of that game at a wedding that weekend or something. Yeah. But for the last couple of weeks, they've like play, either played around the same time or hadn't just added up. But point being, I knew when they were playing La Tech and not playing very well against Memphis, they weren't that bad. And you, as weird as it sounded, you could see like inklings of like it working, but they would just like – for the lack of a football phrase, they would just do the dumbest shit ever. And it's like, okay, well, how did this happen? And it just felt like some catastrophic mistake. Maybe it's as simple as that, but 
What do you think the turning point was for them? It feels like it was the win at A&M, but even if that's your answer, why? Like, what happened? The win at A&M from a confidence standpoint is certainly the, the answer. But, of course, they did go out the next game and get blown out by Alabama. Um, so, you, you, it may very well be the Kentucky game, to be totally honest with you. I mean, Rodgers goes 36 of 39 in that game. Um, but I think it's just a, a case of, you know, when Leach was hired, all we ever talked about was the offense is simple, simple, but it takes a ton of repetition to get to it. Well, we're sort of at that point with Rodgers where he's been the starter now. This, I think, is his 20th start coming up. Um, he's been put in two full years now. He's got the repetitions, and if you watch him, he's just very comfortable there. And it's also probably a good thing that State's offensive line is playing a lot better than it did the first four weeks of the season. They're protecting him and giving him time to throw. But he just looks like he's in command back there. He's scanning the field. He's going through progressions. He's checking down when he needs to. He's, he's, he's got the body motions where he's pump faking, and that's freeing things up short. It, it just He's just got everything working for him right now. And you mentioned that I've heard that quote from Leach a number of times over the first two years that he's been in Stark for is like this works. It just takes a lot of repetition and he's right. And it's weird. It's weird how this keeps happening because you look at that first year at Washington state, it wasn't very good. And shocker, I'm not locked into the Cougars over there, but I imagine at some point in that second year, it might not have looked great during the first part of the second year that I imagine there was a similar clicking point. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch because it has clicked because you put on like the, the, even just like the game tape or the watch ESPN broadcast of how Will Rogers looked against La Tech or even at times against Memphis and then say Auburn or even Arkansas. I thought he played really well in that game against Arkansas for, I know he was sailing some throws early, but like he was not, he was in control. If you put on like film in the first half of the year and the second half of the year, he almost looks like a different player Mm -hmm. and he's not a guy that has gigantic arm strength. Right, But he does exactly what you need him to do in this system that's pass-heavy. He doesn't have, like, look, we're not talking Ethan Flat here. There's no noodle involved. But that's also not part of this offense where you need to just chuck the ball 25, 35 yards down the field all the time. Was there a moment for you, it may have coincided with the last answer, where you thought it clicked for Rodgers? Like, at what point did you see it and were like, oh, okay, this guy's figuring this thing out? First off, I didn't think I was going to get an Ethan Flat reference today, so I, I appreciate that. Poor Thank guy, catching much. strays on this podcast I mean, he doesn't know exists. Seventeen years later, he's still <laughs> he's still taken down. Um, for me, the Kentucky game is probably the answer. You know, State fell behind ten nothing in that game, and after that, I think he had a couple of drops in the first half, but then after that, he completed twenty one straight passes, and he was just moving the ball around. Different guys are getting the ball. He took a couple of shots down the field. That was the thing in the first, those first four or five games, completing a lot of passes, but they were really a lot of dink and dunk and trying to find that. Now he's finding guys in those intermediate windows, that 15 to 20 yard range where you can stretch the field a little bit. And he's taken a couple of shots deep here and there. He's got three or four 40 yard touchdown passes on the year. Yeah, he's not Matt Corral for arm strength by any stretch of the imagination, but you're right in that. He has a good enough arm to make the throws that this offense requires. He's smart, he's cerebral, and he he knows he, he's figured out this offense and then the nuances of it. And that's what's making State be so successful these uh, these past few weeks. Is it, he's a coach's kid, right? Oh yeah, his dad was his offensive coordinator at uh, at Brandon, who and they ran this system. 
That's what, so that's what I thought. I didn't know that part about the system, but I remember him being a coach's kid out of high school. So I was interesting noteless watching this week, and it made me go down a rabbit hole for some high school stats. He and Mingo are like really close. Mingo said something in the press conference this week about how he texts Will Rogers almost every day, like including on game days and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking back at both their high school careers and kind of how that went. And I knew he, he was a coach's kid of some sort, if, even if it wasn't the head coach. So I imagine with him, it was never a matter – I know Sawyer Robertson comes in. Uh, State has another kid committed out of Rockwall. I actually covered one of their games, the quarterback. Lock, yeah. yeah, that's what I, I saw him early on in the year. I can't remember who it was against. All-time leading touchdown thrower in 6A football history out there. Really? Yeah. That's actually quite the flex. That's fascinating. So Yeah, I mean, there are guys like Kyler Murray on that list, so. Yeah, Kyler Murray never lost a uh, – quick sidebar here. Kyler Murray never lost a high school game. He goes to Allen. So Allen's big home winning streak ends this year. Do you know who's coaching Allen right now? I do. Now? I was about to say sidebar of your sidebar. It's Chad Moore. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to uh, – I wasn't covering that game. That guy has the mind. reverse Midas touch, man. Everything he touches turns to crap. I I, uh, I got to go to Allen later in the year, but I, uh, I I wasn't assigned that game that night. for the, I do some high school freelancing for the morning news out here, but I wish so badly I was – because I just wanted to, like, if I had a chance to talk to him after, I'd just been like, so is this Bielema's fault, too? What's up? Like, can you blame this on him? Is this Brett Bielema's issue, too? Or are we finally past this? But this guy, everything he touches turns to shit. But anyway, Will Rogers, back to him. Coach's kid, you didn't – you figured he would never – you figuring it out wouldn't be the issue. And that's what Leach kept preaching. And Sawyer Robertson was a big commitment for Leach. That, I remember – I was like, okay, that's a big-time kid out of Texas – some figured he would probably be the future there and Rogers is a placeholder, but now you're talking a completely different scenario. Are you not? I mean, Oh yeah. Yeah. That now it's, you know, does Robertson transfer out at this point? Cause it feels like Rogers is going to be the guy. I mean, he's got three more years when you think about the COVID year that he's got. Um, and so I can't imagine sorry, Robertson wanting to hang around until 2025 to take, to take his first, you know, snap snaps as a starter. So we'll see what the spring brings us. And then, you know, probably from there, my guess is State's quarterback room looks like Rodgers. Uh, the other true freshman, Daniel Greek, will probably hang around for another year. And then Locke will come in, and, and I think he's an early enrollee, so he'll be here for the spring. Wouldn't be totally surprised to see State go after a, a transfer just to have a little uh, little veteran leadership there in, in that room beyond Rodgers. There's some talk that Jack Abraham might apply for a seventh year. I don't know how that would look. But I wouldn't be totally surprised to see State go for one more quarterback uh, from the portal. I had a buddy in college that did seven and a half. So I'll check with him and probably relate that information to the Abraham a doctor family. like you. Yeah, he is. He's okay. <laughs> graduated in two, went to med school in four, another degree in five. <laughs> no, I think this kid was, uh, I think this kid was like a fifth year in years, but I've <laughs> what, I think at one point he had five years under his belt, but was considered a sophomore. So uh, he, <laughs> I don't want to talk to that guy. I don't like feeling dumb. He had a long way to go, but what a fascinating dynamic, because if I remember correctly, they brought in Abraham and they brought in the Levertage kid, maybe not necessarily as much Levertage to kind of push Rogers and give some competition in the room during camp. And you think you look just five and a half short months later, maybe not even that long, just how much it's turned is, is pretty wild. And I thought, I I thought that that Abraham had a real chance to get the job. And I thought that Robertson, if he played here in the spring and he wanted to play his final season of high school baseball, so he didn't come here until August. I thought if he had gotten here early, he might have had a chance. But now you're right. Will Rogers is the quarterback for the next 
two, three years. And if he plays at the pace he's playing at right now, he's going to be – this is an incredible thing to say. We're talking about a Mississippi State quarterback. He's going to be the all-time leading passer in college football history when this is all said and done if he keeps playing at this uh, level. Yeah, the numbers are st- – like, the raw numbers are stupid. And it's it's wild because you mentioned the Abraham thing. And Abraham might have still had a shot had he not had the concussion issues or yeah, whatever, right? And like, you know, when you're a transfer and you don't – like, you're not in the spring and you don't get fall camp and all that or whatever, like, you're pretty much hopeless. He got, even he got that, in spring, but he, so he, he, was got, in spring. Got hurt, he got hurt in the summer and hasn't, hasn't practiced since. But that probably would have been the wrong decision had one of those kids won the job, right? If you're going back to the repetition standpoint, because once you yeah. see it on the field in the game, there's probably a better chance than not. Even if one of those kids had beaten him out, the on-field product would have looked worse, would it not? I mean, if, yeah, in hindsight, you're probably correct. I, you know, with Abraham, I, I looked at his numbers at USM and I was like, well, they're better than Minshew's numbers were at East Carolina when he got there. But, you know, as we've seen, we've learned since then, Minshew is a special talent that for some reason just didn't flourish until he got to Washington State. You don't go to the NFL if you're just an average quarterback, I don't think. So I don't know if that, that's a good comparison or not. I, like I said, I thought Abraham had a real chance to win the job. But now, in hindsight, yeah, Rodgers getting hold of this job and now looking like he's going to be the guy for the next two, three years. I mean, he should be you know in the discussion you know, with Bryce Young, obviously, for next year to be first-team All-SEC when we go to media days and, and, and going forward. I mean – He's going to finish the year. I mean, right now he's sitting on 41-13. That's going to probably finish around 47-48. That'll be the second highest total ever in SEC history behind only Burrow uh, in, in 2019. I get he would never answer this, but, like, do you think, just from being around the program, you do you think that Leach thought he was the guy? That's a good question. You know, he recruited him at Washington State. So, you know, he had an interest in him. I think Leach believes in his system enough that he believes that if the right guy can be the guy, if he has a, a guy that that buys into what he's teaching and is, has to be a little bit of a film rat and be a little bit of a locker room guy, you know, all those great intangibles we like to throw on players. But if you get that guy, then things like arm strength and mobility are sort of secondary to just understanding the offense. If you have a good enough arm, if you're mobile enough in the pocket, Mike Leach's system can make you into a – a, a top-notch quarterback. What happened at Auburn? Because I thought, <laughs> like, <laughs> I know that's almost like a loaded question, but they got down 28-3. to three. And in the picks call, we do it at Rebel Grove, I think I picked Auburn just because I was probably a little more jaded about what I'd seen their offense do for a half against Ole Miss. And, honestly, it came down because I believe that game is at, like, five and a half, like, kind of right in that Vegas zone. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I saw what State's kickers did last week, and I can't in good conscience like hitch my wagon to that. But the way it happened in the first half is what shocked me because Auburn secondary had kind of been a mess. Uh, the Auburn guy we had on outlined it a lot better than I could. I, I don't want to pretend like there's my own words, but he was like, look, there's a lot of press man coverage with Kevin Steele, and Derek Mason does a lot of zone, and it's it's made a lot of head scratching plays. It's not like they're not talented. It's a lot of like, holy shit, how did that guy get so wide open type of thing? So I thought that would be a kind of a, a really awful matchup for Auburn. And they get up 28 to three. And I was like, man, how in the world is this happening? Cause Ole Miss had a little more success passing with, right. you know, a bunch of walk-ons out there after, particularly after Drummond went out. Mm-hmm. And then of course the second half happens. I didn't get to watch much of that. I was actually at the old Miss game that weekend. What happened? What was the difference in the two halves? You know, it's it's crazy in that when I think back to that game, there's there wasn't like one real play where I'm like, okay, you could feel momentum change here. Maybe the touchdown 
before the end of the first half that State got, maybe the block field goal. But the first half of that game, and really the first half of the first half, Bo Nix played the best college football he ever played in his life. Every pass was directly on target. Even when State had coverage, he was hitting his receivers in the hands. Uh, State just could not do anything defensively. And there was an interesting moment, and I've talked about this, where the broadcaster says, and State's down like 14-3 to when she says this, the sideline reporter says, Leach is telling his guys, look, if we just execute, they can't stop us. And I'm like, well, I don't know what you're seeing there, Mike, but good luck with that. But he was right. Once State started to execute, State scored touchdowns on five consecutive drives. They, at the end of the first half and then their first four drives of the second half, they, they scored a touchdown. And, I mean, that takes some doing. And Rodgers, again, just kept finding guys open. Uh, and I think what happened was you, you see that thing where you're in zone and he's picking you apart with the short stuff. So you decide to take a chance and go man, and then he's picking you apart on those mesh routes and those crossing routes. And, and Auburn just couldn't find a solution. And then it just, it just, it just, they just fell apart. What did State do def- different defensively in that half? Or was it just Bo Nix being Bo Nix, like the, the regressing to the, to the mean, more or less? I, I didn't think State was that different. They were able to get pressure on him a couple of times. And he, we ended up finding out later he broke his ankle, I think, late in the third quarter and we played about three series on a broken ankle. So, you know, kudos to that kid for being tougher than me or you. But State didn't do the defense, it didn't look that different. It's just Bo Nix looked different in the second half. I don't think I'd podcast on the broken ankle. I just yeah, think I would, I'd take I like the Viking and be like, sorry, I'm out. I can't talk yeah. straight. Exactly. So, all right. So they go down stretch. That's obviously a huge win. That's probably the defining win of the leech era. Right. I mean, you probably thought it was Kentucky at the time, but I mean, look what happens two weeks later, maybe the biggest winner. I don't know. You could probably pick from the three A&M or Auburn, which one's bigger. The Auburn game is not only the biggest, it's the most season defining win of, of Mike Leach's tenure. It's one of the top, 10 wins in Mississippi State history. They were they they came back from 28-3 down on the road against a ranked opponent and and won the game going away. I mean that is something. Um I mean I, for me for being a state person the, the top 2 are beating Alabama in 1980, beating Auburn in 2014 to go to number 1. And then in the next grouping that win goes in there somewhere. Ahead, it's definitely ahead of A&M and Kentucky. It's crazy how these things turn out because after old after Auburn beats Ole Miss that night, the night before Halloween, it's like, okay, Harson's got kind of this thing rolling. They control their own destiny. The Iron Bowl could get right. weird. The A&M thing happens, and then State goes in and pulls their pants down the second half. Now it's all of a sudden there's like, is he going to Washington? You know, are they going to anti-vax him out? Of, or are they going to anti-anti-vax him out of there? Double negative. Like, what's going on with this guy? It's just crazy the world we live in. I mean – Don Merlins, he's a he's a. What were your thoughts on that? That was a nice side, but yeah, well, you know, um, you know, it coaches get uh get, get fired all the time. Uh, I was hoping I you'd was, go straight to the impression you hadn't missed a beat there. I had, I, I, I was not surprised. I didn't think it maybe was gonna be this quick, but when he got that job at Florida, I was like, this is not a guy who can elevate a program to a national title, he can build a program up and turn them into more than what they were, but he is not. The, the, you know this, the key to winning national titles is elite recruiting. And Dan Mullen and his, his group of guys, Gonzalez, Hevesy, Knox, those guys are not elite recruiters. They're just not. And so the, the story kind of wrote itself for me with Dan Mullen. I, I wasn't surprised. I, I was surprised to see the way it fell apart for him here at the end. I just thought, he'd get, I thought he would just have like two or three, eight and four years in a row, and they would just be like, this isn't working. But 
to see him gone, I'm not surprised by that. Chad and, Bumpus owes me lunch, by the way. <laughs> Wait, he, what's, what's the story with that? Bet me that uh, he would win an SEC title within five years. Who did? The, he, Chad Bumpus. He bet me. Oh, uh, Chad Bumpus. Okay, okay, I see. I, interesting. Well, he got to the game. You see Chad Bumpus telling me he owes me lunch. I will. The next time I run into Chad Bumpus, I'll tackle him. Like, hey, pay up. Uh, good luck with that. Man. He's so <laughs> but the thing with Mullen is, too, is like, the guys that are elite recruiters, like if the guys that have like brash personalities like he do that stick around, it's because they recruit well and win and people put up with their shit. Um, honestly, to a much, much less degree, I don't mean to insinuate things here, but Kiffin has a little bit of prickliness to him. You know, he kind of had the snide comment about we didn't travel well to our own home game on on his Monday press conference, mm-hmm. but it's all good right now because they're yeah. winning, right? You know what I mean? Nine two. All, all is yeah. good. But like that type of stuff and kind of the quirks and all that and Mullen, it's really just abrasiveness. When you don't recruit and you're not winning, like it seems to deteriorate further. Like I, right. I, this is probably not the great example, but if like Matt Luke, for all intents and purposes, nice guy, you know, in an industry that kind of has a lot of frauds, he seems like a very nice man. Mm-hmm. Had he just been, hey, he had Dan Mullen's personality, that sucker might not have seen two years. Sure as hell wouldn't have gotten the job. So it's yeah. kind of a balancing act. And Mullen found himself in a place where he had neither going for it. And you hit it where, like, they could have lost games this year if he had the number two or three recruiting class in the country, but they don't. And the team that does have the number one recruiting class in the country is their biggest rival. So they had no, he had no chance. He had no chance going up against Smart and Saban every year. He, just, he didn't have a chance. Florida's a job that you, people, when he got the job, people were like, well, you know, he's not a great recruiter, but Florida sort of recruits itself. Well, we found out that's not really true. You still got to put in some effort to get the, the five-star kids to show up there. And, and Mullen was never going to put that effort in. I wonder where he ends up. Honestly, the perfect place for him is like a, a Mississippi state. I mean, it, it, I mean, I mean, you if, can put if, to some degree, Oh, miss. Somebody picked Dave Clawson out of wake forest. Yes, exactly. I mean, he could crush it there or something yeah. like that. You know, a, a mid-tier program, that yeah. might just be his ceiling. So yeah. I'm interested to see where he ends up because I think there's a second act where it's pretty good. Oh, for sure. He's, just, he's a good coach. Yeah. Honestly, I've, I've always thought and I, if Florida was successful this year, and by successful, I mean just going eight and four. Right. Just enough to keep his job, he should have tried to make a move to the NFL because then you take away his weakness, right? That's a good point. He don't have to recruit. Now, I don't know that that abrasive attitude would have played to professionals, but at least you take, you know, you, you just put him in a situation where, look, all he has to do is build a team and every, he has the same advantages as everybody else in terms of money and he can just call plays. That's probably his best case scenario. Maybe he might spend a year, I mean, being a, an NFL OC for a, a year or two. You know, you got 12 million in the bank coming from your buyout. Why not just go do that for a while? Call plays. And it would be like a, it'd be a nice fit with like a decent young quarterback and like a smaller media market. And I don't even, there's more options than not, but like, can you, like that guy would not do well with the jets. Like with that New York urban Meyer, why would you not get the band back together? Yeah. And then Mullen can go to Jacksonville. I mean, Mullen and Trevor Lawrence, that, that that's, that's you've got, now you've got something that, you know, that's got you excited. Yeah. Exactly, and he can be an asshole to the Jacksonville media, and even if they care, no one else outside of them Nobody will else care. Cares. Exactly. Because the New York media will crucify him. But taking it back to state here a little bit, we'll get to some defensive stuff here in a second. The receiving core, when we talked in August as part of like the preview series that we did where we talked to every one of Ole Miss's opponents outside of with respect to Liberty, Austin P. Uh, we did not hit those. We talked about the receiving core a little bit, and we thought there were options there, right? Because it's – 
it's in my glitch system. You don't necessarily need to be a dynamic receiver. You just need to have dudes that can catch the football and be okay. And I think they've been better than that, much better than that. And I, the, you know, the poster child of that is Makai Polk, but even the couple guys behind him, Jaden Wally, Austin Williams have been good. Um, I've been a little bit surprised at you haven't seen a ton more Malik Heath, but I don't know why. Maybe that's just a name that I feel like has been at state for so long. Mm-hmm. What's been the biggest surprise and the biggest we'll start with surprise. Is there anything surprised you in the receiving court at state? Well, the whole thing. I mean, think okay. three years ago, right? Think 2018. Ole Miss has DK Metcalf and AJ Brown and and Demarcus Lodge and, and, and they have Elijah Moore as a freshman, and states trotting out jesse jackson and dedrick thomas i mean a a veritable bunch of good guys but come on and now state has maybe the deepest receiving core in the sec um makai polk i I saw an article a couple weeks ago bruce feldman retweeted an article from the summer the top 100 transfers in college football and polk's not even on the list now he's just leading the sec and receiving he's going to be over 100 catches by the time the season's over so he's been a real oversight yeah it's a little bit of oversight Heath, you sort of mentioned, I mean, he's just been beaten out by Tulu Griffin and by Ra-Ra Thomas, two young players, two different players as well. Tulu Griffin's a speed merchant. Ra-Ra Thomas is a big physical receiver. Uh, Austin Williams is a guy a lot of people were just ready to write off, but all he's done is catch 50 passes this year. He caught three touchdowns last week. And Jaden Wally, who everybody thought was going to take a huge leap forward, hasn't really done that, but he's been super consistent, and he's around 50 catches as well. I think State has – seven receivers with 20 or more catches uh, right now. I mean, two years – or was it uh, – in 17, the leading receiver finished the year with 29 catches. And now State's got to have, you know, three guys go uh, – and I'm not counting the running back shit, by the way. Marks and Johnson both have over 50 catches. So Marks State's is like have, 74 or something, doesn't he? Who? Marks, yeah. Yeah, it's something like that. And Johnson's not far behind it. Marks gets a lot of catches. State runs this little toss sweep but it's so close to the line of scrimmage when they toss it that it's often a forward pass. So you, if when you, when you watch the game on Thursday, you'll see it. They just He takes the snap, and he immediately sort of flings the ball forward, and they count it as a forward pass. I, I, I look at him like, why is that not a carry? But it's not. It's a forward pass. So, yeah, so the, that's one thing. And State's recruiting, as far as receivers, has sort of turned around. You know, it used to be you couldn't – I mean, think about A.J. Brown. You, you couldn't get receivers to come to State. Now, I mean, guys know that even as true freshmen, they have a chance if they, if they make the rotation, they're going to catch 25, 30 passes as a true freshman. And then by the time they're a senior, they might catch 70 or 80. So it's, it's been fun to watch the flip, not only of that, but Ole Miss perennially s- struggling at the running back position and now has three studs back there in, in Ely, Parrish, and Connor. So Ole Miss has somehow taken the good running backs and State has the good wide receivers now. And receiver depth issues, right? Because, like, Ole Miss, right. I think their top three are pretty good, but none of them have stayed healthy. And at a certain point, like Braylon Sanders, that just kind of defines his career. What's fascinating about that is that's what I was getting to. I just pulled it up while you're answering there. So, State has – just make sure I have this right. I'll put it in order. State has one, two, three, four, five, six guys over 30 catches – Mm-hmm. And the next two guys are 25, 19, 19. So next mm-hmm. three guys, as you say. And Tula oh, Griffin was one of those 19s, I believe, hasn't played in uh, three weeks. Okay, that's more context to it. And look, an Ole Miss on the other side, Drummond leads at 50, and then it's 25, yeah. 25, which the second 25 is Ely. The other one's a walk-on in Pearson. Braylon Sanders, 20. 
And then it's a couple more running backs and then a professional pianist. And like, look, it's not complete. We had people on the text line talking about he might catch thousand yards, twelve hundred yards this year. I'm just like, let's let's slow down there, guys. It's it's almost like a it's I don't understand that thing. Like he's shown enough from like the simplicity aspect of it. Like this kid could be an okay receiver if you just give him a limited menu, but they just kind of refuse to use him for a little bit. But what's fascinating about it is, and you can't judge Ole Miss on a hundred like a complete scale because look, Drummond missed two games, Sanders missed three. They lost Mingo for not the entire year, but he plays three games, and then his first game back was last week, and I don't think he played a full allotment of snaps. They're getting a little healthy there, but their problem is is their depth issues is what's killed them. Dennis Jackson, come on a little bit late, but you're talking 12 catches on the year. Haven't seen any of Jaden Jackson. Mm -hmm. You know, Chase Rogers is a tight end that's out. Swag Kelly's chunkier brother, been in the mix a little bit. Uh, He's been all right, but it's just they've had injuries in a place that they don't have depth, which has really killed them. So heading into this game, let's get into this matchup a little bit. I'm fascinated with it because from a big picture standpoint, I think this game is, I mean, obviously it means a ton for because of what both teams have at stake. Look, Ole Miss has New Year's Six on the line. I get that there's a path that Ole Miss could go to New Year's Six at nine and three, but, you know, for the sake of the argument, they're cementing their ticket if they win this game. Right. But even from a Lane Kiffin standpoint, Ole Miss has never won 10 games in a regular season before. And if you do that and you've got all that going for you, where all of a sudden if you lose that, you're nine and three. You know, whether Ole Miss fans want to admit it or not, there's a gigantic damper being put on it for losing to Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. And then you lose Corral. And like I just think the outlook is different. I think Lane could hit the portal hard and get a good quarterback and still be fine. Mm-hmm. But this entire season that's been building and building where you're undefeated outside the state of the Alabama, all of a sudden kind of has a pretty large wet blanket put on it. And flip side for State, they're playing as good as anyone in the country right now. They're seven and four. I mean, we you know this from the amount of years that Ole Miss and State have done it. Eight and four sounds a hell of a lot better than seven and five. It just yeah. does. I don't know why that's the case. And also with Leach, you know, it's not, I don't think the Washington State thing was completely fair, but him notching a win against his in-state rival in his second year at this new job, I do think matters a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. him going zero and two against Ole Miss, not a death knell, but you do get the game in Oxford no a third year from now. It's zero and three. It changes the way you talk about both of them big picture, which I find fascinating about it. And honestly, I think if both teams sucked, I'm not sure you would even talk about that as much, if that makes any sense at all. No, it makes sense. With State, even with a loss, if you look ahead to next year, I mean, they bring everybody back. I think of the – I think State has scored 39 touchdowns on the year. I could be wrong on that number. But something like 35, four of them, 35 of them, have been scored by freshmen and sophomores. So basically, Rogers and the whole band is coming back next. You got to replace Charles Cross, but we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, and then for Ole Miss, it's sort of like you said, Corral's gone. Kiffin, who knows with with all the jobs that are coming open? It feels like, I mean, if he stays, that's a big win for Ole Miss. Uh, and they lose some uh, some other key pieces as well. And it's, it it reminds me a little bit of two thousand nine, where Ole Miss, you know, had they were coming, they came into to uh, Starkville. I want to say you know, nine and two or eight and two, something like that. They just beaten LSU. I think and they, they were eight and three. Yeah. And they were talking, they were going to go to the citrus bowl and had this, you know, fantastic season and then state, you know, spoils that. And they end up going back to the cotton bowl uh, to play Oklahoma state for the second, you know, second cotton bowl in 50 years, 50, but 50, but, 50. <laughs> but you're right. But for state, I mean, even with a loss, you're like, God, oh, they turned it on the second half of the season. They bring everybody back next year. They'll go to the bowl game and they'll win that and be eight and five. But Ole Miss at nine and three, when it could have been ten and two playing the Peach Bowl and nine and three playing in 
maybe the citrus, maybe the Outback Bowl again. I don't know. You're you're right. It would feel a little little less for Ole Miss. It's a good year, and you've seen them reload before, right? It was a little bit of the same conversation after Bo Wallace because, like, it's like you didn't know a ton about Chad Kelly, but you right. also had a lot more talent on defense. Ole Miss loses a couple guys on defense and could potentially lose more net depending on some COVID decisions and all that. So I think you're right. Like cementing the 10 and two is huge for Ole Miss getting into the actual game a little bit. It's a fascinating matchup because Ole Miss's offense has not been great for the last month, five weeks of the season, but for three of those, they were pretty hurt and they kind of, the defense kind of finally willed them to a victory in the A&M game. And, you know, kind of the not so well kept secret is the defense has actually carried Ole Miss for about a month now. They've been yeah. really good since really that. Really weird Arkansas. to watch. Yeah, like it's it's yeah, exactly. It's been weird. It has been weird to watch, and so it's interesting. Ole Miss has been good in the first half and then go tempo, but I think they get worn down. And so State's been a pretty good second half team. If there's one thing that worries you about Ole Miss offensively against Mississippi State's defense, what do you think it is? It's uh, what they're able to do with their slot receivers against state safeties. State safeties aren't – they're not all world by any stretch of the imagination. There's no Jonathan Abram or anybody back, back there like that. They're good. They're good enough. You know, but I feel confident with Martin Emerson and Emmanuel Forbes at corner that they'll be okay on the outsides. But Kiffin always finds a way to get his slot receivers involved and find matchups. It's what killed State a year ago uh, in, in that game in the Egg Bowl. So that's, that's what I'm, I'm looking you – know, a guy like Jalen Green – Fred Peters, those guys have to have a, a good enough game uh, for Mississippi State to have a chance to win this. I think you're right on that because particularly since Corral's dealt with the ankle issue, which I think is finally getting healthier, he throws the hell out of the slant. Corral slings the ball on that slant route. It's by far the best thing he throws. But particularly since he hasn't had a fully healthy ankle, some of those outside throws, particularly the deeper ones, have seen some have been somewhat inaccurate, like kind of surprising that from what you've been become accustomed to seeing the guy. I would certainly agree there. I think the running game for Ole Miss on the other side of it is going to be key because State has a very good run defense. And AM had one too, and Ole Miss found a way. You know, the offensive line wasn't great. Ole Miss didn't have a ton of success on the interior running game. But if you can just find – it's pretty much scheming up a way to get to 225. I think that was the key for Ole Miss to get that game featured Ely a lot. I think that's going to be key because Ole Miss can't afford to not be able to run the ball at all. Because you give – you got the, those couple three and outs that they had, particularly against Vanderbilt early on mm -hmm. in the game. You know, State, to me, it seems like can go fast when they want to, but they can also be very deliberate and control the clock and put together, you know, nine, ten-play drives and kind of keep the Ole Miss offense off the field. And I think that's a recipe for disaster for Ole Miss. Kind of flipping it on the other side, I think the 3-2-6 is by – it's far from the worst matchup in the world from just a schematic standpoint for Ole Miss defensively. But is it going to be kind of death by a thousand paper cuts a little bit by Vanderbilt? Ole Miss has done a pretty good job outside the Arkansas game of keeping plays in front of them. Their secondary has yeah. been pretty good. They don't get beat deep a ton, but they've had a propensity to kind of let things go underneath them. Where do you think particularly Ole Miss can expand? or excuse me, Mississippi State can exploit the Ole Miss defense. Well, you just sort of said it. That's what State wants to do. They want to play underneath. They want. It's so weird watching a team pass the ball 55, 60 times a game and lead the conference in time of possession. <laughs> That's what State is. It, basically, they're, they're running the football through the passing game. And so if you're talking about giving up stuff underneath, State will take that all night. Ole Miss needs to get after uh, Will Rogers. Um, and, you know, they're going to have to do it Four on it's going to be four on two because Charles Cross, whoever's up on him, Charles Cross is going to handle him. 
You know, and I, State's thrown the ball nearly 600 times this year, and Charles Cross hasn't given up a sack. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about here. This guy's an easy top 10, top 15 pick. Um, so the other guys, and that's where I would expect Sam Williams to go, is the other side of the line away from Cross, probably out there on Scott Lashley, who's been up and down this year. He's been more up lately. But those two guys in that three-man front have got to find a way to get back there and get some pressure. And when Ole Miss blitzes, they absolutely have to get there because if they don't, somebody's running free in the secondary, and Rodgers will find them. So when Ole Miss brings pressure, it's 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 got to get home every time. I think he particularly nailed the last part, whereas that is is how State has cooked people. Because I think Ole Miss is going to have to be selective in how they blitz, mm-hmm. and when they do, they have to get home. And I think the biggest key is them getting pressure without blitzing, and that's something Ole Miss has done for most of the year. Okay, look, it's not like any sort of vaunted pass rush, but you watched Ole Miss's defense for the last four years. They had none. I mean, once Marquise Haynes left the program, there was literally none. And Sam Williams and Cedric Johnson have turned into a pretty formidable passing duo. And, you know, whomever they throw in the middle in that jackrabbit package, whether it's Tavius Robinson or someone else, has been okay. And so I, they, they're better there, but, they're, but two of those guys are going to have to have a really good game because I think you're right when – Ole Miss sends pressure. One, they're going to have to get home, and if they don't, Rodgers will find them. That's how they've torched pretty much everyone not named Alabama in the second half of the year. Um, I've One thing I skipped on the offensive side, how would you define State's running game to an alien? <laughs> um, <clears throat> You're having to explain friend, football to someone. How would you explain it to them? Uh, you know, not used very much. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's something, you know, you see it sporadically. Like I said, even when state tries to run the ball, it turns into passes a lot of the time, but they have been better since if you go to the Kentucky game, state was almost 50, 50 play calling pass run, which I was just flabbergasted by. Uh, and then in the, in the, in the next few games, they've been able to run the ball a little bit more effectively, especially with Dylan Johnson. He's really come on. He's averaging almost like six yards of carry right now. Um, but it's, 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 it's sort of the trick play. It's, it's, you know, when they run the ball, you're, you're sort of caught off guard by it at this point. So, but that said, you know, Ole Miss is as, as, be, as good as they've been defensively, they've been better. They're still not great against the run. Uh, I've made the, this point last year and I'll probably make it again. I wouldn't mind interim coach Joe Moorhead with, uh, with Garrett Schrader and uh, a couple of running backs back there and let him call the plays for this this one game because I feel like if you just pound Ole Miss with the run, they will eventually cave in. Um, but obviously that's not going to be the case with Mike Leach. So if State, you know, if State runs 70 plays, if they're running the ball 20 times, that's a lot for them. That's a lot. And that would be a good number, I think. Are the running backs so like I say okay with it? I mean, they're not going to come out and be like, no, nah, this shit sucks. But like, is it a certain type of running back he's trying to recruit? Because at the same time, the the kid has the, the Marks kid has 70 something catches and the other one uh, is not behind him. Like how just big picture thought, like how, how do you think he recruits the running back position? I find that fascinating. Well, he's got, you know, the guy he's recruiting this year is a kid out of Louisiana who uh, is currently, I think still committed to TCU. Um, but it, it, they're, they're, they're scat backs, basically they're guys, you know, they come in knowing I'm going to catch the ball more than I carry it. Uh, for the most part. Um, Johnson and Marks weren't recruited for that. Both of those guys are Moorhead guys. Uh, so they, they would have been recruited to, hey, we're going to RPO and you're going to carry the ball 150, 200 times while you're here. Um, but they've, they've adjusted well. They're, they're both, you know, I think Leach got sort of lucky in that both of them were plus pass catchers. 
Uh, if they hadn't been, I don't know what state – if State had had a couple of guys like – I love Aris Williams, but, you know, a guy like that, that would have been an issue. I don't know how that would have worked out for Mississippi State. So they got lucky in that, and these guys have adapted well. But going forward, you're going to see, you know, a lot of, of running backs getting recruited that are sort of 5'9", 5'10", 185, 195, who can do things out there with their speed and in space more than just be between the tackles. The last thing I had on the of as it pertains to the old miss running game too is Corral seems to be a little bit healthier now. Mm-hmm. And once he hurt that ankle against Tennessee, and particularly once he re-aggravated against Auburn, you didn't see him in the running game hardly at all. And I think that's something that could help solve Ole Miss's issues, particularly in the red zone. Like if if, if he's a you know, if he's 13 carries for 75 yards, I think that's a incredibly good sign for Ole Miss because I think that adds an element that they certainly haven't had because they're not very physical at all on the interior. Like, you know, it gets third and four from the th- right, third and goal from the four, third and goal from the three or something. They don't really have the option to just get nine feet running over you. Right. And they particularly don't have it when the quarterback hadn't been an option. So I'm curious to see how that factors in this game. Last thing before we get to the important stuff across the pond, offensive line. What's been up? What's been the difference this year? Because Charles Cross has turned into a, like you mentioned, not only just a first round pick, but probably at worst top 15 pick. Last year, I knew he was a good player. But it looks so bad as collectively at times, it almost got overshadowed. They don't have different personnel in there this year, or at least not drastically different. And Leach right. recruits a different type of lineman. What has changed with the, what they have? I think it's, it's what we talk about with Will Rogers, just repetition and learning the system and knowing who to pass off to who and, and, and you know, how, to, how to recognize things before the snap. Uh, and obviously having a guy like Cross out there who can just erase his guy so you play four on two. Uh, it, it is very helpful uh, to Mississippi State. And they made a change about midway through the season and, and took Dollar Bill Johnson out uh, to put in Cole Smith at right guard. He's been playing really, really well. LaQuinston Sharp at center has been really good for Mississippi State. He's, he's anchored the middle of that line. And lastly, like I said, it's been sort of up and down. You can tell why he never played at Alabama, but he's definitely good enough to play at Mississippi State. Um, and, you know, that's something when you look at the next year, State's re- replacing both tackles. That's going to be a huge question mark for them. I think there's a freshman in there that they probably put it right tackle. And then the left tackle will either be the portal or this Juco kid. It looks like they're going to flip from Oregon. So we'll see. But I, I, I do think it's just a, they, they've just gotten more comfortable and they know what they're doing. And they, they know how to do it better this year more than anything else. What a if, – if, oh, no, I know what I was going to ask. Are you inviting Richard to a Thanksgiving party? What's, what's, what's happening? I know in Oxford you went to Bouray one time, if I'm not mistaken. What's, what's the Thanksgiving plans this year? I, I do think when the, when the game is on Thursday, I do Thanksgiving on Saturday. So okay. if Richard wants to show up Saturday, by all means, there would be plenty of food uh, for us there, and uh, we'll see. I invited him to my Christmas party, he and his lovely wife, Jane, We'll see if he makes that. I'll, I'd like to inst- extend an invite to you as well. If you're in Starkville, Mississippi on December 11th, you're free to show up. I'll fire up the jet and rip on over. There you go. Rip you one. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to put my tail number is going to include FCC violation on there somewhere. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it's <laughs> flight number 42069. <laughs> Let's, uh, let's get to the important stuff. We're going across the pond. Soccer corner has been catching on like wildfire. I get Twitter mentions at least three times a week now of, of people tagging me and stuff. I don't understand. We had a uh, – what's the figure skater? What's the figure skater's name uh, that got attacked? Um, oh, Nancy Kerrigan. Yeah, they yeah, had the a situation similar the, thing with the Paris Saint-Germain uh, women's team, yeah. Yeah, just absolutely brutal out here on these streets. People not getting enough playing time. We start taking bats to knees. 
Um, you know, we got the Saudis buying this Newcastle club who has sick uniforms, but now they're in last place. All kind. We have people asking us to check in on MLS every now and again. I'm like, I, I we only have so much football to cover. Yeah. Uh, you're a Chelsea guy, correct? I am. Big win for them today in the Champions League. Uh, took down Juventus 4-0. So, at, you know, Thanksgiving, all about rivalries. I imagine this is the one on the forefront of your mind. I imagine you've been relishing that new, uh, excuse me, uh, Manchester United has just had a disaster of a year. I've been learning. So one of my biggest hobbies now is I click on these team accounts from the Premier League yeah, and then start reading the insults from the Brits. Yeah. Manchester United, 10-pot club. Thoughts? Yeah. Banter club. <laughs> what does that one mean? So I, I'm going to add that to Things the are all talk. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to add that one up. Banter club. Okay. I got that one down. Uh, Are you you relishing in in London or in Manchester? It's like the smallest club in Manchester, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, you know, for rivalries, obviously for Chelsea, the the big rivals are in the city of London where Chelsea is. So Tottenham Hotspur and Arsenal are their top two. And, And then, you know, for me, I don't like United. Isn't your co-host a United guy, by the way? Yeah. Weldon's a United guy. We're going to have to have you all hash it out after a while. Yeah, I thought I was hoping he was going to be on the pod here, to be totally honest. Um, so that, that game is this weekend. I am always nervous of the first game of an interim manager. Okay. Chelsea last year got the first game of Everton's interim manager, and they lost. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, there was another game for that for Chelsea. For whatever reason, the team seems to play well. Now, Chelsea, Manchester United did play a Champions League game today, so this is technically not his first game. And Manchester United is without their, their, their starting center back. So Varane is still hurt. And Maguire got a red card last week in that shambolic 4-1 defeat at Watford at Vicarage Road. What an unbelievable – they were down 2-1 in the 92nd minute. And Watford just ran it up on them and got two more in. It was unbelievable. I, I was, like that. I was, no one takes knees around here. In the, I watched the that game in the MSU press box because State was killing Tennessee State, and I was literally laughing out loud, chuckling. People were like, "What are you laughing?" I'm like, "You you wouldn't you don't care you don't care what I'm laughing at." But it's funny. So we'll see what happens. I mean, Chelsea is just playing really high level uh, football right now. They are they are. I mean, they're the defending champions of Europe, and they played like it today. I mean, Juventus Juventus is one of the top clubs in the world. And Chelsea just slapped them around the pitch for 90 minutes today uh, in a 4 0 game. Um, so I, I think Chelsea should win this game. It's at it's at Stamford Bridge. It's in London. Uh, but like I said, I, I always worry about those first couple of games with an interim manager. It always tends to give the other team a little boost. So Chelsea, how long has it been since they've sacked a manager? What's their story up leading into this season? Okay, so they, they, the the last time they did it was January of last year. Oh, that's an eight. That's ages ago. I've learned. Uh, yeah. Well, Ch- Chelsea sacks managers the way people sack groceries, man. They do it. They do it for sport. The guy they sacked, Frank Lampard, is a club legend. He's the all-time leading scorer in club history. They hired him in the fall of twenty. I guess that would have been summer of twenty nineteen. Um, it's barely a full were, recruiting class. Basically, right. Well, that's the. the let me. The, I'm glad you said that. So they were facing a transfer ban due to some uh, some unsavory dealings with youth players. So they weren't allowed to sign play. Imagine an NFL team told you can't sign players. So no free. No, Weldon's explained this to me the other week. No free agency. None. 
There is no such thing as free agency. But yeah. basically, right? Well, no, there, there is. You can play out your contract, but most teams are going to try to sell you before your contract runs out because they don't want you to leave for free. Because when free agency is free, it's once it's you're once you're out, you're out. Okay. For the most part, clubs buy players, which I, I love. By the way, there's no let's trade. So no, it's just like here's fifty million. Give us that guy. So it works. But Chelsea couldn't do that. Couldn't do that in this in the in the first transfer window, which goes from the summer to uh, the end of September. Also, Chelsea loses their best player, who at the time was, if you'd said the top three players in the world, it would have been Ronaldo, Messi, and then Eden Hazard, and they lost him. He went to Real Madrid. So now, so that's what Frank Lampard, club legend, walks into. All right? Would have been nothing for him to have not had a great season. Instead, they finished uh, fourth in the league. They made the Champions League for the next year and they went to the FA Cup Finals. So you're thinking, okay, it's going well. Club legend. This is going to be good. Last year, get off to a great start. And then about midway through November, just went downhill. And he, they, they started losing games. And on January, in the middle of Jan- or the first weekend of January, they, I mean, imagine if Eli Manning came back to, to Oxford to be the head coach. First year, great first year. You know, in a year where he's facing NCAA sanctions, they win eight games. The next year, they start out three and five, and Ole Miss just says, we're pulling the plug. That's what this would have been. So this guy sounds like a hybrid between Matt Luke and Eli Manning. Like, club legend comes back at a terrible time, leads them mm-hmm. through. Now, look, Matt Luke. And had, had only been a head coach for one season prior to being taken the job of one of the biggest clubs in the world. But nobody wanted the job because Chelsea had the transfer bank. And then he's just sacked, even though he after he brings yeah. him out of there. I got a question. And I had but... never well, something you never see. Chelsea's owner is a Russian oligarch. Yes, right? I love this. Why are all the owners skis balls? What's going on? I with don't you? know, man. But I I went with the Russians over the over the uh, the Arabs. I went away from my own people. <laughs> so my team is owned the Brentford Bees. We're apparently owned by us, sports handicappers who are ruined analytics. Have you read into this? I have, and yes, gambling. You just think gambling's a big deal in the states, man. You can gamble in the stadiums at every place in, in, in England. How so, do you live bet soccer? Uh, you bet goals and, and stuff like that, I guess. I, I don't know. I've never really looked into it. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't gamble on those things myself. So Chelsea fires this guy, and they bring in Thomas Tuchel, who uh, was the head coach at Paris Saint-Germain. Again, the year before that, the summer before that, we're talking seven months ago, he was in the Champions League final and lost, and then he gets fired a couple months into the season at Paris Saint-Germain. So Chelsea hires him, and all of a sudden, boom, they're unstoppable. Nobody can score on them anymore. They become this fortress defensively. They finished third in the league when they were ninth when he took over, and then they won the Champions League. And now it's to the point where people refer to the Chelsea as the Tuchel Bond because we, they terrorize their opponents. When is their last EPL title? 2016-17. Wow. Talk about a championship drought. Yeah, but they won the champion. But you win the Champions League, nobody cares about that. That's a much – it's crazy the way these competitions work. You'd rather win the Champions League than the Premier League. Or Premier or Champions? Which one would you rather win? Champions. Okay. Why? Because that's all of Europe? Because that's all of Europe. That You are the best club in Europe at that point even if you're not the best club in England by the Premier League standards. You and Chelsea beat, 
the Premier League champion in the Champions League final. They beat Manchester City. You mentioned the Russian oligarch. Have any of the coaches ever gone missing? Not to my knowledge, but man, he, he has no problem saying. Oh, what I was going to say about that is normally he just fires the guys and that, that's it. Here's the statement from the club. He's fired. He actually wrote like a, a note about like how much they love Frank Lampard and how much he will always be welcomed back. He's a legend. I had never seen anything like it. Normally, Roman Abramovich is just like, he is gone, and that's it. So, Biggest threat to Chelsea to win this soccer, because there's a couple of clubs that I understand. Liverpool, Arsenal, I've heard of them. Man City, obviously. Mm-hmm. West Ham. What, uh, are they pink? What's the hams? What's going on? The hammers or the okay. irons. Is what I kind of like that. Every one of these teams has sick logos, too. The Americans yeah. could learn from this. And, and they all have, like, their nicknames aren't really their nicknames. Like, Chelsea's the Blues, but, you know, it's not like you see Chelsea Blues versus Manchester United Red Devils this weekend. It's, it's just Chelsea versus Manchester United. So, uh, West Ham is a good team this year. They have a lot of good young players. They, 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 it's so rare for a team outside the big six. Do you know about the big six? Yeah, so I could, I could let me guess them. Chelsea, Man City, Man U, uh-huh. Liverpool, uh-huh. Tottenham. Uh-huh. And I said it. Um, I already said it. Yeah, you said it earlier. Ooh, Arsenal. Yes, that's the big six. So it's rare for anybody to challenge them for Champions League spots. Leicester City almost did it a year ago. West Ham is doing it this year. We'll see if, if that holds up. They're a good team, though. Um, Man City is the biggest threat to Chelsea right now. They, Tottenham they thinks they should be in that anybody. six. Do I now? Does Tottenham think they should be in that six? Oh, Tottenham is in that big six. Because they have the money, but they, from a performance standard, aren't doing. And their former manager is—I'm sorry, their current manager. Uh, by the way, Tottenham fired their manager after nine games this year. Love that. That's an abundance of time. Yeah, nine games, and they were like, "We're done." And then the guy they hired is the guy who took Chelsea to its last Premier League time. So I love the guy, and now I have to hate the guy. Hopefully he walked away with a huge buyout and pounds. Fascinating stuff. When the whenever the season ends, I don't know when it ends. We'll have you back on. Uh, I May. What? May. Okay. Well, mark your calendar in May. We'll have your people contact ours. <laughs> Brian Haydad, I fish appreciate the time as always. Have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. If your wife hey, gets mad at you for not being home late, just tell her we were talking football. She won't know what it means. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks, buddy. Always great to talk to you. <laughs> And that was Brian Haydad. Appreciate him hopping on to talk some football and some football. So, hope you guys enjoyed that. Get you a little egg bowl primer in you as a uh, nice little appetizer for your Thanksgiving meal and the game tomorrow night. Let's get to Greg's picks, Thanksgiving edition. Uh, we both had terrible weeks last week, as become the norm. Skybox did not. They crushed us. One more reminder, sign up for that, uh, that contest that I mentioned at the top of the show. Go buy a package. Use the promo code contest follow them on twitter retweet the tweet and you get entered into a random random giveaway for 100 bucks 100 bucks cold hard cash cold hard cash no questions asked and then the second winner with a draw a second person you get a, a week's worth of free picks and any referral you give this week that's an additional entry into the contest anyway check them out here's greg's picks but before we get to that I need to remind you the podcast brought to you by manscape that's right manscape manscape offers precision tools for your jewels they're here to make me time in the bathroom the best time. They're the leader in men's grooming. You need to ch- join the more than 2 million men that trust Manscaped. The lawnmower 4.0 model, LED light, nice little portable charger. Make sure things don't get out of hand down there. Heard the 70s were a wild time. Skybox is here to make sure that's a bygone era. You don't want things getting out of control 
and uh, all mangly down there. You need to uh, make sure you're nice, uh, kempt and groomed. And Manscaped is the leader in the industry to make sure that is taken care of. They're here to make me time in the bath, me time in the bathroom, the best time in the bathroom. Check them out. Use the promo code MPW, and you get twenty percent off any purchase. Check them out, Manscaped.com. Here's Greg after what is Greg's favorite ad read. All right, we now welcome on Greg the Meat Sharp Jones here to wrap up the college football season with us. I cannot believe I'm uttering that statement. It has gone by incredibly quick. It is week 13, I guess. Yeah, it has to be 13. Only every Well, week 14, including week one or week zero, I should say. I can't do math. That's that MIS education. Get to some NFL stuff. We're coming at you early on a Tuesday or Wednesday show, I guess, for all of you out there listening. It is Thanksgiving week. I This is one of my favorite weeks of the year, whether it's the feast week in college basketball, you get the Maui tournament late at night, um, some good football throughout the weekend. But honest to God, I, I, I love the Thanksgiving football, but the early game has become such synonymous with bad football. It's almost a tradition at this point. But, man, it's awesome to just eat food, not do anything, and watch some uh, – Watch some good football. What's happening, my friend? Yeah, I mean, it's always wonderful to know who the backup quarterback is for the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving Day. So last year, I am pretty sure, I could be wrong, I think they fired your – did they fire your twin? Uh, yeah, Matt Patricia think, yeah. at this point, was he fired by Thanksgiving? Uh, I think so. And, and I, I that's think – uh, Yeah. I'm trying to look this up in real time with one hand on my second computer here. You talk about bad quarterbacks – I think that's Heineke, uh, right? Okay, let's see. We got – I just tried to look up Lions-Bears 2020. Let's see, 2020 NFL Thanksgiving. Like, I don't know. I, uh, whatever. Uh, I, the early game has become so synonymous with terrible quarterback play, it's almost like a rite of passage. Yeah, I think it was like a Matt quarterback or something like that. Oh, God. Yeah, I might have been Heineke. I thought it was Heineke. We had just the some- – uh, we had the um, we had the late game canceled this last year, right? Whatever Ravens game got canceled was just the last kick in the nuts of COVID. We didn't get the full Thanksgiving slate last year. I can't remember what it was. It doesn't really matter. This is terrible podcasting, but I can't wait to watch some Thanksgiving NFL football this year. We are getting uh, we are getting Andy Dalton against Ty Boyle in the early game, so that'll be nice. Yeah, I would uh, probably be stuffing my face and not watching that. Yeah, I'm probably going to have to agree with you on that one. But, man, we got some good college games to get to. The rest of the NFL games are pretty solid. What's uh, LBs? What's going on at the store? There's some Thanksgiving specials. What's uh, not? <laughs> I'm putting words in your mouth here. What's LBs got going on for Thanksgiving is what I should say. Well, LBs is going to be closed uh, uh, on Thursday and Friday. Uh, just kind of, you know, assume that everybody's going to be eating uh, turkey and ham and all that sort of good stuff on Thursday and then probably eating the leftovers on Friday. So we're going to take a little break and uh, come back and open up the store Saturday and just do regular hours from 10 to 6 on Saturday and then 1 to 6 on Sunday. So just take a little break. Wasn't that – you told me that's like two of like the four days you're closed all year, right? You guys never close. <laughs> yeah, we. I think – I forgot what I did. Is I think I totaled up. I think we got like six or seven days that were closed out of the whole year. So pretty solid number, I guess. Yeah, I'd say it's pretty good ratio of putting in, punching in the clock, doing some hard work. As you guys lead up into Thanksgiving, though, because we do, by the most time people are listening to this, still have a day before. 
is there a common th- like common theme what people coming in to get what's our kind of a good good thanksgiving supplement that you guys i'm now making you sound like a vitamin shop what's what do you guys have going on that's good for thanksgiving that people are coming in and scooping up yeah i mean you know kind of like a lot of appetizer stuff duck poppers jalapeno poppers stuffed mushrooms i had a couple people order beef tenderloins because because they didn't want to do turkey on thanksgiving so you know there's always a couple options but I would uh I would say those duck poppers and jalapeno poppers and asparagus and mushrooms are pretty popular right now. That's uh those uh poppers are to die for crab stuff mushrooms. My God, those things were terrific. Check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Do you get any people coming in uh asking for like some sort of turkey alternative? Have you had that in the mix over the last couple of weeks? No, I mean, like my thing is with the turkeys is just uh, we, we don't want to sell a, a, a turkey product that you can get at Kroger or Walmart. So we sell a, a naked turkey from Joyce Farms and I just got, you know, uh, an allowment on it. And uh, just it's hard for me to order 50 to 60 turkeys and be like, all right, it's Thanksgiving. Come and get your turkeys at LB's, you know. So, um, you know, we're just taking the Thanksgiving is not a good holiday for us. We just, you know, take two days off and, uh, you know, get ready for the beef tenderloins and the standing rib roast uh, for Christmas. So we'll be ready for it. I'm not a big turkey guy. That's what I was kind of getting. at. I probably worded that terribly. Do you have people coming in the store who either it's just like a addition to the turkey or don't want turkey or like give me some brisket or whatever? Because I'm actually not a big turkey guy. I go for the ham at Thanksgiving. I think it tastes better. I think turkey's significantly overrated. I'm not going to do the internet hot take where you're like terrible if you like turkey. I just don't think it's that good. I was just curious if in the last couple weeks you had people coming in preparing for Thanksgiving for uh, meats that are not turkey. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I agree with you. I, I'm not a turkey fan. I'm a ham fan also. But, you know, there's some uh, – I had a couple of people want a couple bacon-wrapped pork loins. There we where go. Where they could smoke it and slice it. Uh, but, I mean, it, 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 if in a perfect world, I, I prefer Chinese food on Thanksgiving Day. That's just me. Oh, hell yeah. That's a nice little twist, Tub. Um, I was just <laughs> trying to look that up as we were going through at the quarterback battle last year. I'm allegedly – this website, I don't know how uh, – Incredible this is. It's called ESPN.com. Claims we got Matt Stafford and Deshaun Watson last year, but I feel like I definitively remember something being way worse. Maybe that was 2019. I'm too lazy to look it up. Yeah, but we have a- the COVID years have kind of like, you know, jobbled up. We don't know what's been going on the last couple of years. Completely broke my brain. I, the 2020, it happened, but it might as well have just been like molded into clay with 2019. And anything you told me happened. Like, sure, that sounds good to me. Like, I, I I, would believe anything you said about 2020 and 2019 about what year it happened. Let's get to what we got to last week before we get into these games. Last week, you had a good week. You went 5-5 five and five in college and 5-7 and seven in the NFL. I say good weeks because mine was terrible. I went 4-6 and six and 4-8. and 2-2 two and two in my locks. You were 2-1. and one. We all won on Vandy. Skybox went six and four. They went 13 and 11 in their college picks and seven and five in the NFL. You need to check them out. No one hotter in the industry right now than Skybox sports picks. But not a bad week overall. Some pretty weird games. We all went heavy on South Al, didn't win it. You went Bama. I went Arkansas. Skybox in Arkansas. That was a hell of a game. I went Florida. You went Missouri. You were all over that one. So could have been worse, but we were surviving. We're going to make some money this week. Yeah, it's kind of funny how uh, Missouri is the new uh, is the new uh, uh, the people that you know. The, if you lose to Missouri now, you're going to get fired. 
Yeah, that was a pretty crazy stat, right? Four coaches have been fired after they lost to uh, Missouri. And then you had Joker Phillips, the coach of Kentucky, and Derek Dooley at Tennessee who lost to Missouri and then got fired like a week removed from it. So Missouri, coach killers. How about that? Book it. Yeah, may the force be with you. There we go. Um, all right, let's get into this week's games. We do have a good, a fantastic slate of college games. This is about as peak as college football gets. You get the rivalry game. Of course, we have Ole Miss, Mississippi State on Thanksgiving night. We'll go all around the SEC, get to some different stuff. Let's, I mean, you got tons of games on Friday, too. They're not great games, per se, but, I mean, you get a Big Ten game in the mix. There's usually one SEC game. It's usually Missouri-Arkansas. Yeah, it's right there, NC State. Uh, North Carolina. This is the kind of year, uh, the the time of year where you start getting football uh, on pretty much any day of the week as we get into bowl season as well. So I'm looking forward to it. Let's uh, let's hit these SEC games. We've got some, we've got Skybox rolling along with this for the SEC picks, or excuse me, the college picks uh, as a whole. Not going on along with this in the NFL. They have to sell those, but we will get to the Skybox free plays at the end of it as well. So stay tuned for that because they are absolutely destroying it in terms of college football and the NFL. Where do you want to start? We'll save the Egg Bowl for last. Let's start with nice little palate cleanser here. Louisville, Kentucky, the football rivalry that everyone wants to see uh, because I know football is on the forefront of all these fan bases' minds. It is Louisville minus three at home against Kentucky. How about that? The Louisville Cardinals. Minus three at home against Kentucky, who was once, you know, a top 12 team. This is uh, pretty wild. Where are you going here? Um, man, you know, I think this is actually going to be a pretty decent little game. Uh, you know, I know uh, Ole Miss put a thumping on Louisville early in the season, but, you know, that quarterback Louisville's got, you know, pretty special. And uh, they've, uh, they've, they've been doing, uh, doing that with Lamar Jackson. And also it kind of reminds me of him a little bit, but, I just think Kentucky just is playing really good ball. They can tr- they can run the ball. They can play defense. So, I'm going to take the underdog here. I'm going to go with Kentucky. Yeah, Louisville has been decent since, and Malik Cunningham is a good player. You're talking about a 6-5 and five Louisville team that's a 500 ACC team. You know, they beat UCF a couple weeks later, kind of got back on track, lose a tough one to Wake Forest, a one-point game to Virginia. So, their record could be better than it was, but they didn't – play very well against NC State, lost to Clemson, and then really have just kind of throttled two horrible opponents in Syracuse and Duke. I'm going to go Kentucky as well. I'm actually surprised this is a three-point game. Um, I might be missing something here. I'm going to have to look into this after we get done recording as far as injury news for Kentucky. But I'm going uh, UK here as well. I just – I saw – and I know it was the opening game of the season, you know, Labor Day weekend. You can't really get a feel for what these teams actually are at that point. But, I mean, the Ole Miss defense stifled Malik Cunningham. I thought it was a terrible, terribly called game, I would say, uh, to say the least. But, I mean, Ole Miss, to their credit, that night, the Louisville couldn't do anything in the first half. So, I'm going to go with Kentucky as well. We have Skybox on this one also. And we have – which way is Skybox going on this? They – Skip that game? I'm not really sure why that was the case. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and catch up with that. We'll roll back to Skybox. I feel like we missed one game a week with Skybox. I don't really know. Uh, I'm pretty sure I put that one in there. Anyway, so we're both on UK. We'll keep it rolling. We'll catch up with Skybox's pick on that one afterward. Let's stay in the SEC. 
we will go Vanderbilt, Tennessee. Could I interest you in that? If I could, Ooh. yeah. If, you got, if, if there's a there's a fifth of uh, bourbon involved, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I that's a ugh, that's yeah, exactly. That's one you take a shot anytime someone like completes a pass or something, or maybe you take a <laughs> shot anytime there's an incomplete pass. Really get the juices flowing. I cannot believe this line to be honest. Tennessee, well, I can. Tennessee minus thirty one in Knoxville. Gosh, man, what a terrible game. Um. I'll go. I guess, to, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take Tennessee. Maybe 40. Let's go 55 to 10. How about that? Let's go Tennessee to roll them. Feels like, South, excuse me, uh, Vanderbilt shot their biggest bullet last week. They played pretty well. They caught Ole Miss incredibly flat. If there was ever a chance for like a trap game of Ole Miss looking ahead, it'd be this one. They went with Mike Wright at, Mike Wright at quarterback, who gave them a little bit of a running element. And you know, they kind of dinked and dunk Ole Miss to death. I mean, they had 450 yards of offense, but they averaged 5.5 yards of pass and 4.3 yards of carry. It was really just death by paper cut. They took advantage of Ole Miss being vanilla defensively, and they played with a lot of energy. Shit, when they scored energy, they when they scored that touchdown to make it 31-17, you would have thought they just tied the game in the national title with the way those dudes were celebrating. Again, I, like if you listen to the to Monday show, I don't even really mean that as a dig. They played hard. Good for them. Um, but I think they fired their best bullet and I think Tennessee is going to smoke them because Tennessee's having a great year and Josh Heupel in year one, uh, the chance to go seven and five, I think they kind of roll them here. And I agree. I think this is like 45, seven. So I'm going to go Tennessee as well. Skybox is on Vandy. Skybox is uh, going to Vandy to cover the plus 31. So how about that? We uh, hey, never doubt the professionals. Look, Skybox is on Vandy two weeks in a row. We were all three. We all three won that last week. They, uh, we all three won money on them last week. I didn't think we'd ever think we all thought Ole Miss would cover the 36 point spread. I didn't necessarily think it would be uh, a 14 point game. That is for certain, but whatever context matters. Let's go. We'll knock out the other non SD full SEC game. We got two more of those left. Georgia, Georgia Tech. This game is in what's it called? What is this rivalry called? I forget. Uh, Isn't it like the South's oldest rivalry or something dumb? Um, I don't know. I don't know the name of this rivalry. I mean, I know the the, the rambling wreck of Georgia Tech and I'm a hell of an engineer. I mean, I know that little thing. I like that. Well, this <laughs> game is in Georgia, at in Atlanta, and it is 30. Georgia is minus 35 and a half. Georgia is minus 35 and a half point road favorites. Wow, I mean, I know that uh, Georgia Tech just got thumped. 50, was it fifty-one to nothing against Notre Dame? Yeah, and I read a column from the Georgia Tech, uh, well, one of the athletic guys, the Athletic Atlanta like website. I don't think they have anyone that covers Georgia Tech full time anymore. But they had someone write a column. Is like, look, this Jeff Collins thing is just not working. I don't know what they do. I don't know if they fire him this year, but it's not working. These two teams did not get to play last year. And a buddy of mine, uh, his father played quarterback at Georgia back when Herschel was there, was on the national championship team, if I'm not mistaken. He was not the starter yet. I think Buck Ballou was the starter at the time. But John Lastinger started uh, Georgia for a couple of years during kind of their heyday. They hate Georgia Tech. I don't know if the new wave, you know, it seems like Georgia has four rivals, right? Like Florida, Auburn. Tech. They don't really like Tennessee either. Like they kind of have four rivalry games each year. It's bizarre. The older guard hates Tech. 
and I would put Kirby somewhere in that. So I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm laying the 35 and a half. I think Georgia smashes them. Like this, this oh, to me yeah. screams 52 nothing. Yeah, maybe 55, uh, maybe another 55 to 10. Yeah, there we go. That would cover it. So 35 and a half. Are you, you're on Georgia too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Skybox is on UGA as well. That's that is uh that is quite that's a good that's a good first half uh, line bet. I think I think that'd be a really good first half line bet. I think you're absolutely dead on with that. With that first half line, what that first half line has to be like what like 20, probably 20 and a half. Yeah, maybe 21 and a half, just because probably 21 and a half. Let's go to the Iron Bowl. Auburn plus 19 and a half at home, no bow nicks. TJ Finley, although Bo Nix made headwaves this uh, headlines this week, I should say headwaves. Don't really know what that is uh, by saying that it's weird in Alabama games that they seem, tend to get the favorable whistle. Congrats to Bo Nix, just continuing to stay in the headlines despite not being able to play. Tough break for him. Tough kid. Played like three series on a bum ankle against uh, Mississippi State in that game. But I always thought that I thought that was funny. Plus 19 and a half. I'm not a big believer in TJ Finley. I thought for a while this game could get weird. I don't think it will now. Brian Harson, a lot of rumors about him going to Washington or finding another job. There's some vaccine stuff there. Apparently, there's some deeper stuff behind the scenes. Just doesn't seem like a good fit. I'm going to hammer Alabama here. Yeah, I'm going to hammer him with you. Uh, I just, man, I just don't understand, uh, like, you know, these coaching hires. Uh, you know, you pull the trigger on a coach and then you're already getting rid of him in a two years time or the coach is already looking for another job after the first year. So I get it. There's just too much money involved on this, on these coaching gigs. Yeah, it really is pretty wild. I think if Harson left after this year though, it would be him leaving on his own or they use the vaccine deal or something else to kind of mutually part ways. We'll call it, but who knows? Let's go. Oh, this is an interesting one. Clemson, South Carolina on a Saturday night. This could be good stuff. South Carolina plus 11 and a half. Frank Beamer's uh, Frank Beamer. Jesus. Shane Beamer going bowling in year one at South Carolina. Given the roster that he inherited, it's a pretty remarkable accomplishment. I saw Dabo in a press conference earlier this week said that Shane Beamer should probably win SEC coach of the year. I really don't hate the argument. He's not going to win it. I don't think he will win it, nor do I think necessarily he should. But, like, I can't really argue with that point. What he's done with this roster is incredible. They've had three different quarterbacks start for them, and each quarterback has won two games. So, the six games they won, three quarterbacks won two apiece. Uh, I would say that's called a team effort. They play really hard for him. You know, if he can recruit, he's got a, he's got a shot there, but that's going to kind of be what makes or breaks him. South Carolina plus 11 and a half. This feels like a sucker line, but – I got to tell you, I think I'm going to take it. You know, Clemson's become this national power in the sport. This this rivalry be, has become pretty much irrelevant since the last days of Spurrier and his Dabo's rise happened. If not now, win for South Carolina. I don't necessarily think they'll win the game because Clemson, as they showed last week against Wake, still has good young offensive talent that has kind of hit their stride later on in the year. I don't think – well, I can, still can't say his name right. Ungalele? I think that was butchered, but DJ U is not hundred percent healthy. You could tell that watching him play last week, he's got a finger injury. That's really affecting the way he throws the ball. He wasn't great when he was fully healthy, but that defense is still stout. This feels like a game where I'm going to take South Carolina plus the 11 and a half. And it's like 24 to three midway through the third quarter or something, but I'll take him anyway. I'll ride the Beamer train. South Carolina plus 11 and a half. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I... 
I, I kind of semi agree with you, but I think maybe Clemson's just going to have a little bit better talent across the board. I know, um, you know, Shane Beamer with, uh, with a, you know, basically a, a nice little turnaround. Didn't they have two wins last year? I think two or three. It wasn't great, but yeah, yeah, I wasn't. think what your I think what your pick is the smarter play. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Clemson just because I just think that they're just I think they're two touchdowns uh, a two touchdown team better uh, than South Carolina, so I'm just gonna roll the dice with it. Skybox is on Clemson. Yeah, I think that's the smarter pick, but you know I've never been accused of being intelligent. Let's see, we'll go a And LSU. We're bouncing around here. Ed Orgeron, potentially his last game, you know, LSU wins, they're bowl eligible. They could actually get into a bowl game with five wins. I have no idea if they would even accept a bowl bid at five wins. But coming into this last week, there are only 72 teams with six wins and there's 82 bowl slots. And that tells me that LSU could potentially get in with five wins. I don't really know if that would happen. I don't really – I would – this is just a guess. I don't know their thinking. Maybe they want the money and the extra practice. But if they take it, you can't let Ed coach the bowl game, right? Like, I don't know how that would work. To me, from an Ed Orgeron standpoint, they don't want to prolong this any longer than it's already gone because it seems like it's been pretty miserable over the last couple weeks. Uh, But credit to them for not quitting. They struggled against ULM last week. It's LSU plus six and a half at home. Um, That seems enticing by some measures. Like, I could see it because LSU is – to whatever that defense, whatever defensive coordinator's name is, credit his name is escaping me. For as bad as Jake Peets is, the other guy's been pretty damn good with a lot of injuries. But with that said, this feels like a, a 20 to 3 game, kind of similar to the one we just got done talking about. I'm going to go AM here. I'm not falling for it. Yeah, I'm just going to, you know, take the better team and the better situation. So I'm going to go Texas AM too. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Uh, Skybox is on LSU and credit for all of Ed's flaws and, you know, all the bad stuff that came out you know, about his personality and the way he's handled things toward the end after he got fired, they haven't quit on him. And that's been the most surprising part. I mean, they win. If they had a decent offensive coordinator, they would have won that Alabama game. And then they didn't quit next week against Arkansas, who's playing really good football and took them down to the wire. So like credit to them for not quitting, but I just don't, I think the offense is a mess. And as much as as good as the defense is, I think South, I think Texas A&M will probably just roll over them. Scott yeah, is I mean, on LSU, the, though. They're fading us. Yeah, well, see, the thing about it is, is like if LSU kicks that field goal against Ole Miss instead of going for it, they're up 10 to nothing, and it's a totally different ball game. So, um, yeah, I just think that, you know, just some coaching, coaching issues going on with LSU, and they just need to hurry up and get this season over with and hire their new coach and move forward. I'm with you. So that would actually be honestly hilarious if LSU won this game and then they have to decide what they want to do about this bowl game because they're like, damn it, we can't let this crazy asshole coach another game. Um, Here's a gross one. Florida, Florida State. Dan Mullen gets the boot. Everyone's pointing into it as the 34 and 14. What else do you want? This coaching stuff's getting out of control. I actually even wrote about it in the newsletter. I'm guilty of it to some degree. I think we all know that that was – not necessarily about wins and losses uh, in a vacuum, at least, and more so about personality, lack of recruiting, not necessarily doing the other things right that you need to to run a program. Florida, minus three at home against Florida State. Florida State coming off a week where they go to a decent Boston College team and really kind of put it on them. They had to hold on late. They got up 26-3 to and held on 26-23. 
to keep their possibility of becoming bowl eligible alive. Um, I got to tell you here, I'm going to go Florida State money line. This is for yeah. Florida State to get bowl eligible. Florida's with an interim coach, uh, Greg Knox, who's actually a great interim coach. He was the guy that beat Lamar Jackson with Mississippi State after Mullen left the first time uh, going from state to Florida. But I'm all over Florida State here. I'm going to go Florida State money line and lock it. I don't even need the three. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with you, too. I, I just, uh, you know, I think I read a tweet the other day that, um, you know, whenever I think it was Florida LSU where the Florida guy threw the LSU shoe. Yes, things have not gone great for him since or them. Yeah, since. I, think, I, I think he's like six and six and 14 since that since that's since that happened. And two like and that. nine against power five opponents. And, oh man, uh, I mean, you know, it's just it is what it is, and uh, I mean, you know, I, I, you just got to go with uh, what program is. You know, I, I mean, I know Florida State had a rough first half of the year, but they've kind of turned it around. That Boston College game. I mean, Boston College has won a couple good games this year, so I like Florida State a lot too, and I like that money line also. Skybox is on Florida. Mm. Oh, that's good. Nerds fading us again. Well, I like our chances against the old Skybox experts this week. Uh, just a hunch. But I say that every week, and then we ended up losing to them because, you know, they're actually the professionals of this, and you should sign up for their service. Let's see. We went everywhere except for the Friday game, I believe, before we get to the Egg Bowl. I want to make sure I didn't miss one there. No, I think we hit all of them. So then we go to the Friday game. I believe that's the Friday CBS game. Missouri-Arkansas. Arkansas. Minus 14 and a half takes Alabama down to the wire in Tuscaloosa last week and never really flirted with like taking the lead or like tying it, but it was a scrappy game throughout. And I continue to be impressed with KJ Jefferson. I continue to be impressed with Sam Pittman. It's Arkansas minus 14 and a half. And I'll tell you, I, I, I like Sam Pittman. I like everything that Arkansas is doing. I think they win this game and get to eight and four, but man, you give me more than 14 points. Missouri's offense is capable enough that Tyler Beatty kid's a good running back. I know Missouri's defense stinks, and so maybe this is a dumb pick, but I'm going to take Missouri the plus 14 and a half. I think that's too many points. I think Arkansas wins this game and gets to eight and four, and you're really hearing about what Arkansas could be next year. Uh, I think Mississippi State's actually another team that could be could be uh, along those lines as well, but I, I think Missouri covers this. I think this is a 10-point game. Missouri got a chance to go 7-5 and five and finish at 500 in the conference as bad as it's looked at times this year. Um, and this would get to Arkansas. Like, if they lost, they'd be 3-5 and five in the conference, which would be kind of weird given kind of the, some of the signature wins they've had. But I think Arkansas wins this, but I don't think they cover the spread. I'm going to go Missouri plus 14.5. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. That's just – I think that's way too many points, and I think this is a – Easily a back and forth, you know, seven to 10 point game. And uh, who knows, there might be a late touchdown to, you know, cut it to a field goal game. So I, I just like Missouri the way they're playing. And, you know, whenever you, regardless of how bad Florida's playing and how, uh, you know, uh, good, uh, how, you know, bad Florida's situation is, Missouri, you know, came back and beat them in overtime. And that's a big win for that program. So got to, got to go with the momentum here. I like, I like Missouri here. Yeah, I, Skybox is with us. They're on Missouri as well. So that's uh, that's always a good sign. Now to the crown jewel in what has become a clown show on Thanksgiving night over the last half decade, Ole Miss and Mississippi State Thanksgiving night. Hopefully this game, for the sake of both programs, is remembered for different reasons 
Number nine, Ole Miss. I'm guessing that's what they just came in in the newly minted college football playoff rankings. I didn't watch that show. I have little interest in the college football playoff rankings. I think it's a – I don't want to get into that today, but I saw Mississippi State dropped out of the top 25 just solely for playing Tennessee State, which should tell you – you know, State got ranked 25th, I believe, in those rankings last week or something, and um, then got dropped out after beating Tennessee State. That should tell you everything you need to know about it. Ole Miss up to number nine. It is Mississippi State minus one and a half as we record it right now. Started out Ole Miss favored, quickly jumped to State. It's Mississippi State minus one and a half. Man, this is a game that Ole Miss needs. Uh, we, you know, Ole Miss has a kicker suspended for roids allegedly that has not been confirmed but pretty sure that's true um Ole Miss kind of healthy offensively the first time in a while state playing really good football I feel like I've been way overly optimistic to Ole Miss on some of these games like this year I, I mean I picked them against Alabama and Auburn I guess is what I'm getting at and to cover the spread and they lost both of those, but Ole Miss has been pretty good on covering it for the covering the spread for the most part. Outside of that, I like this matchup for Ole Miss, though. I think if they can find a way to run the football consistently, I think I like the way their defense matches up against Mississippi State and Will Rogers. Sam Williams, Cedric Williams, that's going to be a huge key in this game is getting home pressure with three and four, not having to blitz. But I think the way Ole Miss spreads it out with that many defensive backs on the field. I think, I think it could be a decent matchup for him. So I am actually going to go Ole Miss the plus one and a half, and I think they win the game outright. And I think they get yeah. to 10 and two. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I, you know, I hate, I, I've got, I'm going to say it because, I mean, I know there's plenty of Ole Miss fans that feel this way that, you know, we've had a really good season. We've won some games that, you know, usually that we lose and uh, we win and, uh, you know, we're one one win away from, uh, you know, going to the Sugar Bowl and going to a New Year's Day five uh, bowl. And that's a big deal for a program that, you know, just two and a half years ago was, um, you know, looking for a coach and, you know, a, a, a future Heisman candidate uh, was in the transfer portal. So uh, th- it wouldn't be surprised me if State won this game, but I, I just can't I can't go with State. I like Ole Miss. And I think that, you know, Ole Miss just, you know, will find a way to win this game. I think State's playing good football, but Auburn's secondary is a disaster. And I, honest to God, thought the way the first half went for State at Auburn was almost more shocking than the comeback itself because I thought State might torch them in the second half. Or, excuse me, torch them in the secondary of that game, not the second half. I can't talk straight today. It's late on a Tuesday night after a uh, big day selling grease, so uh, brain's a little frazzled. But um, I, I don't know. I just – State's on a backup kicker as well. You haven't seen a team get consistent pressure on Rodgers in a couple weeks. I think Ole Miss has a chance to do that. They better get home when they do blitz. I just – I think Ole Miss has a chance to kind of finally piece it all together this week offensively, and I think that defense has been good enough to stifle Mississippi State here for about a month. They played at a level that I feel pretty good about their chances going into the game. So I'm going to go with Ole Miss. I could be completely wrong, but guess who the professionals are going with? Ole Miss as well. And they are in the business of making money and nothing else. So that should tell you a little bit about their chances there. So Skybox is on the Ole Miss plus one and a half. That's going to wrap it up for the SEC slate. we got a couple more games to get to outside the SEC. This is my favorite part because we get the SEC games every year. That was the stupidest thing I've said all podcast, and that's saying something. We watch these SEC games every week. The rivalry games outside the SEC are always what fascinate me as the greatest part about watching college football Thanksgiving weekend. 
like Ohio State and Michigan State. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, Bedlam. I've been to a Bedlam game. I went to Sam Bradford's last game against Oklahoma State. It was in Oklahoma State. A couple of the other ones, Iowa. The Cyclone deal is not on Thanksgiving anymore. Uh, But you get, you know, a couple of those others mixed in. Uh, And I'm I'm, I'm fascinated to see the Ohio State-Michigan deal. You get the Apple Cup. That's always a solid one. Fun to say. Get the Apple Cup. I don't know why UCLA-USC was last week. That's a crime against humanity. But be that as it may, we're going to bounce around and do a couple of the other ones. We're going to start in Bedlam. Uh, we're going to go Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. I believe Oklahoma State wins the Big 12 regular season should they win this. Both teams 7-1. and one. Hell yeah, this is a massive game. 6.30 at night, ABC on Saturday evening. I will be at an engagement party because one of our uh, astute listeners out there decided to get engaged. Really selfish move by that guy. You know who you are. Um, but hopefully they'll have a TV on it. <laughs> Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State minus four at home. How about that? No one's talking about one loss Oklahoma State for the playoff either. Hmm. I, I like Oklahoma State here. I mean, I think I just, they roll them. I, I think so too. I mean, you know, Oklahoma didn't play really well against Iowa State at home last week and uh, you know, I think there's some rumors circulating with uh, what's his name, Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley, man, I thought Lincoln Riley would take the 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 Dallas Cowboys job, and here I am thinking that um, he's about to take the LSU job. So who knows with the Oklahoma situation? I mean, they're about to be in the SEC, and it's a pretty uh, exclusive job, I think. But uh, what do I know? But I, I like Oklahoma State here. I think I like them too. You know, I don't know what Gundy's record is against Oklahoma. I know it's not very good, but man, if there was every year to get them, it feels like Oklahoma is one of the weaker one loss teams in the country. I mean, how they lose that game to Baylor. They were already not getting much respect from the college football playoff committee. They did not. And after they lost what they got, dropped to like 12 or something like that. I probably am exaggerating a little bit. Actually, no, I'm not. I think they got dropped outside the top 10. And so I, I don't know their path back into it. I think one of these teams, if they finish with one loss, deserves a spot in the playoff if things work out the right way. That's going to be the fascinating part. Does one of these big 12 teams screw Cincinnati out of a playoff spot? But uh, I kind of like Oklahoma State here as well, minus the four. I think they roll them. I think I could – I might lock this. What, what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. I think that, you know, like I said, uh, you know, they've got a they've got, you know, your rival at home, uh chance to go to, you know, the playoff on the line, you know, first time for Oklahoma State to be involved in the playoff. I mean, uh there's a lot at stake and uh I, I like Oklahoma State. I, I I'm just I just can't lock it though. Oklahoma's sneaky good sometimes. I will hold off on the uh lock as well. Skybox is on Oklahoma State. There we go. We're all three on it. Um, so we got it there. I'm trying to look up the most latest version of the college football playoff standings. So we have a one loss Oklahoma State at seven, and one loss Oklahoma is nine. No, Ole Miss got ten. So Ole Miss at nine, Oklahoma at ten. Man. It's kind of weird to say to Oklahoma State, and things could change because Oklahoma State will go to the Big 12 championship game should if they win this game. I, actually, if they if they win this game, it's a rematch the next week. How about that? Wow. I think. I just don't understand. This would be the most ideal 
perfect world for a 12-team playoff right now. I mean, it would just be really perfect because there's – I think there's a, literally at least three or four teams that could probably win the national championship in a playoff right now. And even if there's not, Weldon and I talked about this on Sunday. This shit has killed the sport. This has not been good for college football. This is part of why you're seeing, you know, all the crazy-ass stuff with the coaches and all that. You got 25 programs that think they should be a part of the 14 playoff every two out of, you know, every two out of five years. And in reality, you know, 20 of, what is it, 20 of the 32 bids or 22 of the 32 bids have gone to the same four teams. Like, it's just, it hasn't been good for the sport. No, I'm sorry. It would be if Oklahoma State wins, we will get Oklahoma State Baylor in the uh, in the uh, college foot in the uh, Big Twelve championship game. If Oklahoma wins, we will get a rematch. So I think Oklahoma State just needs to win and then beat Baylor and kind of get some help. They have two one loss teams in front of them as the standings go right now. They have. Michigan and Notre Dame, and then you're getting Cincinnati who got into the four spot tonight. So they're in the playoff. That tells me if Cincinnati wins out, they are probably actually getting in this sucker, which for all the hoopla about like, ah, they're going to get screwed out of again. I figured that would probably be the case, but I don't know. I mean, you're going to have one of these one loss teams eliminated Ohio state's number two. We'll get to that in a second. Michigan, number four, both them are at one loss, whichever one of them loses is going to be dropping out. I would imagine Michigan or Cincinnati would be rooting for probably chalk there. They'd probably be rooting for Ohio state, but if it comes down to it and you get a one loss Notre Dame and a one loss Oklahoma state, you couldn't put a one loss Notre Dame in because guess who their one loss is to uh, North Carolina. No, uh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Yeah. Cincinnati at Notre Dame. So then the yeah. argument becomes Cincinnati versus a 12 and one Oklahoma state team. That's probably what screws them out of the playoffs. So I'll be fascinated to see how that turns out. Anyway, we are uh, all three on Oklahoma State. There's not time. We'll we'll debate this next week as we make our postseason picks or uh, SEC or uh, championship week picks as well. Um, anyway, we are all on Oklahoma State. That is including Skybox, keeping it rolling. We will just go straight back to the Big Ten and the Big. Uh, I believe this game's in the Big House, Michigan. Ohio State, you know, credit to Jim Harbaugh. All the credit, all the shit that he's taken, he loses to Michigan State. He has his team 10 and 1. And if they beat Ohio State, they're probably getting in the college football playoff if they win the Big 12 champion, or excuse me, Big 10 championship game. This game is in Ann Arbor. If not now, win for Michigan. And they are plus seven and a half against Ohio State. Vegas loves Ohio State, and I think with good reason. And I think they're about to continually take money from people with Ohio State because that was a 19-point line last week, and it wasn't enough. That game was 49-nothing. C.J. Stroud, I think, may have won the Heisman with his performance last week against Michigan State. Did you watch that game? That was phenomenal. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had uh, Michigan State. Uh, so did uh, I. 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 I literally had uh, – uh, Michigan. I had two parlays, and all, all, everybody, every game hit except Michigan State. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very depressing. Well, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna beat around Bush. I'm taking Ohio State. I, I just think they're, you know, just their offense is better. Um, just I think, I, I think uh, just Ohio State has Harbaugh's number. I mean, regardless of how good Harbaugh's teams are, or something or what, or how good they're playing, it's just for some strange reason I think Ohio State's just got his number. So. I think Ohio State wins by three touchdowns. The reason you are picking Ohio State is because you have a brain, and I do not. I'm going Michigan. 
I think last week was a little bit of an anomaly because Michigan State had the worst pass defense in the Big Ten, and I wish I had known this factoid before I uh, picked Michigan State last week. But not only that, like, it was bad, don't get me wrong, but C.J. Stroud threw some dimes as well. So I'm not sure how that would have translated differently had Michigan State had a competent passing defense, but, man, that guy looked really good. Ohio State looks explosive. You have the smarter play. I have no idea – why I'm going with Michigan, but I think there is a path to where the ball they do ball they play ball control they run the ball well they play much better defense than Michigan State did. I if that might be one of the low key worst losses of Hardball's tenure if it doesn't end well for him is losing that Michigan State game this year because it's good good for Mel Tucker for cashing cashing in when he get, he did, but I'm not sure Michigan State's that good. I think Michigan plays good defense. I'm going to go Michigan plus a seven and a half here. It might have changed my opinion, even if this was just seven. Um, but we'll go Michigan here. It's almost just wishful thinking because I'd like to see a little change up in the uh, in that whole rivalry. Skybox is on Michigan. So how about that? We got. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's going to be a good game. I hope it is. That'd be a fun one to watch. 11 a.m. Saturday morning. Uh, we got two more to get to before we get out of here. We're going to go to Michigan State and Penn State. Michigan State at home coming off of just an absolute thrashing last week. That was about as embarrassing as you could get for like a top 15 matchup. They're plus one and a half at home against Penn State. James Franklin, right before we started recording this podcast, uh, signed a pretty gigantic extension, 10-year extension, which presumably takes him out of the running for the USC job, I assume, at that point. Michigan State plus one and a half. I have no feel for this. This is gross. I'll say Michigan State rebounds, man. You get that big contract if you're James or if you're – well, they both got big contract extensions. If you're Mel Tucker, though, after one year of real, real success, you get that extension and you throw two stinkers like that, they might try to find a way out of that pretty quickly. I'm going to go Michigan State plus one and a half. I really have no feel for this game at all. Yeah, it's almost kind of like a flip your coin here. Uh, I – uh, I'll go with Michigan State. I, I mean, I think they play good at home, and uh, they'll bounce back. I mean, they're well coached. I just – I'm not a Franklin fan, and I just uh, – I think that's that 10-year contract's kind of fishy. Skybox is on Michigan State as well. So, I uh, I kind of like them in that spot. That feels like a game where a lot of the public will be like, oh, we're going Penn State here. Did you see what happened last week? And Michigan State writes the ship. That'll be a fascinating game for a lot of different reasons. If you talk about momentum going into an offseason – after both coach, both coaches were extended for uh, honestly very different reasons. But um, anyway, I find that to be a fascinating game in a different way than Michigan Ohio State. Last one, we'll go Stanford Notre Dame. I believe this game is the midday game on Saturday afternoon. No, excuse me, sorry, tonight game. It's on Fox, so not getting the NBC deal either. Notre Dame minus nineteen on the road at Stanford in Palo Alto. Um, been a tough year for Stanford. I didn't think it was that tough, though. I'll tell you what, I don't trust Notre Dame as a 19-point favorite on the road, uh, particularly with the quarterback play in that run defense. Um, so I'm going to go Stanford plus the 19, even though I know Stanford is not very good. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to agree with you. I'll take I'll take some uh, – I'll take an underdog at, at home underdog uh, on the West Coast. That's just – man, that's a lot of points. Uh, you know, there's well, I mean, I know Notre, Dame, Notre Dame put up 50 last week, but still, that was against Georgia Tech. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. Stanford is three and eight. 
I mean, they lost 41-11 to Cal last week. Ah, honest to God, I didn't. Actually, I'm changing my pick. That was, you know, sometimes on this podcast, I try to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. Uh, actually, that's what I do most of the time. But I'm man enough to admit when I, I know what I don't know. Do you know uh, Stanford's last three results, Craig? Uh, I know they're not really good. I think at least they're all 30-point blowouts, right? They lost 52-7 to to Utah, 35-14 to Oregon State, and 41-11 to Cal. Do you know their last win? Uh, I think it was against a, a pretty decent team, wasn't it? Yes, you're correct. They beat Oregon. <laughs> yeah. They, beat they Oregon. went and yeah. beat Oregon at home, 31-24. The Pac-12 is a joke. Yeah. I don't I understand this game. league. It is a joke. It is fading to complete irrelevancy. I mean, my well, God. I mean, you know, most uh, most uh, true footballers are probably asleep by 10 o'clock whenever they kick off, so it really don't matter. Stanford has three wins this year. One of them is Vanderbilt. The other two is USC on the road when USC was ranked 14th, and the other one is at home against number three, Oregon. How many three and eight teams do you think have two wins against ranked opponents when they played them? Just that is a remarkable stat. Yeah, that, that definitely uh, saves your coaching uh, uh, job, that's for sure. I'm going to switch my pick. I'm going to go Notre Dame. Yeah, I'm going to go Notre Dame, too, and then we'll both regret it whenever Stanford like, loses by field goal. Yeah, you know why we're going to regret it? Scott Box is on Stanford. <laughs> 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 Whatever. I, uh, I regret nothing. I regret nothing in this life. Now let's get to the league where they play for pay. Um, as the great Mike Francesa says, we'll roll through these pretty quickly. What a fantastic end of the college football season. We'll still have our bowl extravaganza. We'll do the conference uh, conference championships next week. So uh, we're not – College football still has a little bit more for us, but as far as the full uh, power to games, that ends with Thanksgiving week, which I guess is probably fitting in some ways. But uh, looking forward to the conference championship next week. Let's get to the NFL. Thanksgiving Day, huge, huge game in the Midwest. Detroit Lions, backup quarterback Ty Boyle, Tad Boyle, whatever the hell that guy's name is, against Andy Dalton and the Chicago Bears. There was a report that came out there today from Patch which I think is some new online digital outlet. I don't really know. Citing that uh, Matt Nagy has been informed that this is his last game as coach of the Chicago Bears. He was asked about that at a press conference right after and said, quote, that's not true. So whatever you want to read into that, Lions plus three. Hell, I don't know, man. Lions money line in this game is only plus 140. I mean, do you just wake up in the morning and pour mimosa and just look at your mom and be like, hey, I'm going to act like a jackass around my family members today. We're going Lions money line, and I'm going to get drunker than I should. Yeah, Where do I mean, you go, Bears? This is a disgusting line. Yeah, I mean, well, I think the Lions actually play really good on Thanksgiving, don't they? Don't they have a pretty decent record on Thanksgiving? We'll call it that. I have no idea. But they don't have a good record for the rest of the year. I told myself I wasn't going to bet on the Lions, but they showed a little fight last week against the Browns, and I mean, they covered. You know, they covered, and, uh, you know, I literally – I think I got a – I saw a, uh, a tweet that at the Bulls game, they started a fire Matt Nagy chant. So, uh, if it's if it's already at the Bulls game, I, I think it's a uh, writings on the wall. So, I think I, – I, for some strange reason, I don't even know how Matt Nagy still has a job. Uh, but with that being said, I'm going to go with the Lions. 
Let's do this. Let's put the nail in his coffin. I'm with you, Greg. Let's go Lions plus three. I can't believe I'm doing this. I might drink a little my, a little Lions money line here. What just an absolutely disgusting start to your Thanksgiving. If that doesn't make you lose your appetite, you better eat before this sucker starts at 1130. 3.30 game. Cowboys, Raiders. Uh, awesome helmet matchup. Awesome kind of traditional matchup here. I hate that the Raiders, just from a fan viewing standpoint, is trending in the wrong direct or trending in the wrong direction. Man, they still have a shot at the playoffs. They honestly still have a shot at their division. But the last three weeks, they've looked so bad. They've lost three in a row. They lost at the Giants. They lost at home to Kansas City on a Sunday night. They lost to the Cincinnati Bengals last week, who I think are pretty good, but I'm not necessarily sure they're well coached. So I don't really know what to make of this. It's Cowboys minus seven and a half, though. And speaking of teams that have come off not so great weeks, I know the Cowboys beat the Falcons two weeks ago like a drum, but they got absolutely smoked the week before that at home by the Cowboys and got exposed a little bit um, shorthanded against the Chiefs. No Amari Cooper, no CeeDee Lamb. I got to say, I saw what – I think Dak Prescott is very good. I think he's worthy of his extension. And honestly, fully healthy, I think the Cowboys are a Super Bowl contender. But I think this is a bad spot for them because I saw what it looked like last week when CeeDee Lamb exited the game and they already didn't have Amari Cooper. I don't know if he's going to play in this game. He's unvaccinated. It's a short turnaround. I don't know what the protocols are for that. But if they're without two of their top receivers, I'm taking Vegas all day. That that Cowboys offense look hapless. It's not even a deck thing. Like, what offense looks great without their top two weapons? I'm going to go Las Vegas Raiders here if you're giving me a touchdown and a half a point. So, I'll go Raiders here. I'm actually going to use my first lock on this. Yeah, I'm going to lock it with you. I just think that, uh, you know, I think uh, Zeke got hurt last week too a little bit. I, I saw a lot of carries for Pollard, so – and for um, full context, uh, CD has already been ruled out. I'm a CD fantasy owner. He is not playing this game. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Uh, you know, and you know the like you were saying, whenever the Cowboys are healthy and CD Lamb and you know uh, they're awesome. I think, yeah, I think they're missing a defensive end also. Maybe they're pretty banged up. I'm gonna look at that yeah. injury report for this sucker starts. But yeah, I'm gonna go. I, I just think uh, field goal wins this game, and I just much rather have the seven, seven, the points here than you know giving up the points here. And you can already see the cycle because the Raiders have to add this one, and so they might. I might even that Raiders money line plus two eighty five looks really tasty to be honest because the Raiders have to have this one, and then if they do by chance somehow pull the upset and win this game, you're gonna start seeing all the. Cowboys fraud stuff again amongst all the takesmen out there. But when they get fully healthy, they're really good. They're going to win that division and they're going to be a Super Bowl contender. So it's, this is not even an anti Cowboys team thing. This is just a bad spot. So I'm going Raiders. Uh, last yeah. Thanksgiving thing, uh, last Thanksgiving game during the Ole Miss game, New Orleans Saints plus six against the Buffalo Bills. I got to say, I rode this Saints train as long as I could ride them. I'm out on the Saints, Greg. I hate to tell you. I know the yeah, Eagles I mean, have been playing good football. They looked terrible last week. I, I think that Saint, that Titans game weirdly broke them a bit. I just – I'm not in on them. It's Bills minus six, and I'm not even sure how great I feel about the Bills. These last two games, and well, all three of them are kind of gross in their own right. But, man, talk about having zero feel for all three of these Thanksgiving slates. I'm going to go Bills minus six here. I just – I don't trust the Saints. Maybe I'm wrong. It's the Dome on Thanksgiving – Actually, I'm going to talk yeah. myself into it. I'm going to go Saints. I'm changing my pick in live action. The Dome on Thanksgiving, short week, 
you know, the Bills can't really run the ball. Josh Allen doesn't look as accurate as he's been. I'm talking myself into the Saints because I think this is going to be like 13-10 or something. So, whatever. Yeah, I mean, Saints. yeah I, I agree with you on the Saints here. I just think, you know, they had a bad game last week and you just put a line through it and move forward and go home. I mean, you know, they're still in the playoff race. And, um, man, it's hard to win at the Dome regardless of uh, who you are. And, uh, you know, the Colts, the Colts exposed that Bill's defense and, I think, you know, uh, Mark Ingram and Kamara can run the ball pretty good, so why not? Let's take the Saints here. Yeah, you're right. That's the other part of it where it, they did get exposed last week. For, I mean, my God, Jonathan Taylor put up an all-timer fantasy performance. I mean, that's in the, you know, um, what's that, guys? Clinton Portis. Remember that Doug Martin game? Remember that game that Doug Martin guy had against the Raiders a while back? They had, like, the 52-point game. That was an all-timer fantasy performance. So, I'm with you. I think the Saints run the ball and ground out there. They're tough at home. So I'm going to go all dogs on this Thanksgiving. How about that? How about a yeah. little parlay of Detroit Lions plus three, Raiders plus seven and a half, and Saints plus six? I just talked myself into that in live action. What about this? Uh, uh, an underdog money line three way parlay? I like the, the way you think. Plus 140, the, the plus what? 285, plus 215. Look, the Lions win. That's at home. You hit that Raiders one, weirdly enough. All of a sudden, you're a Saints win away from being a very rich man. Oh yeah, for sure. Plus that, I mean, like I said, that what was that two, two four, plus two forty five on that on the Raiders? You said two eighty five. Wow, that's a good one. I like that. Oh yeah, that's a that's a little juicy. All right, we're gonna go to the Sunday games now. Uh, here's a tough one. My Tennessee Titans are going to Foxborough to play the New England Patriots. Former New England Patriot Mike Vrabel going back. The Titans back in Foxborough for the first time since they ended the Patriots dynasty. I would hate to remind people of that. It is. New England minus six and a half. I got to say, as high as I am on the Titans, the Titans thing has looked a little fluky the last couple weeks. They're not the same without Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill is not the same without Derrick Henry. They lost to the Texans last week. The defense finally had an off game. And when that happens, it looks like their margin of error is pretty slim. Um, I got to say, I know this is a lot of points, but I'm all over the Patriots here. I am not high on my Tennessee Titans right now. Yeah, I'm going to have to just straight agree with you and just keep it very simple and basic and just uh, New England's playing real good ball right now and uh, Tennessee's not playing good ball. So you would think uh, New England would win by a touchdown easy on this. Giants plus three and a half at home against the Philadelphia Eagles. This almost feels too good to be true. Giants coming off a terrible Monday night football loss to the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers where they look largely non-competitive. They're plus three and a half at home against the Philadelphia Eagles who – I have not been very bullish on, but are playing good football, and I have to give credit where credit's due. And by that, I mean I'm going to bet on them and lose money this week. Philadelphia is minus three and a half on the road. I'm taking the Eagles here. I think the Giants are a mess. Yeah, I like the Eagles too. That, I'm actually going to lock this because I saw uh, – is it Mark Bollinger? Bollinger? Is, uh, he's, a, he's on Twitter. He's an ESPN analyst. It's like Bollinger picks or so, or takes or like he does like, uh, you know, individual performance. Like there was one play that he that he went over with uh, in the Giants Tampa Bay that they that three wide receivers for the Giants ran into each other on the same play. It was like it it, it was awful. I mean, you know, and I saw I, I just, this. Yeah, and I just saw and I just uh, noticed who all is on the coaching staff on the Giants, and that probably gives it away, too, of why they're so bad. I think it was, like, 
Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, Aaron Dooley. Jason, yeah, Dooley, uh, Jason Garrett, and who was the other one? Uh, there's uh, one more. It's not a murderer's row of offensive minds, if that's what you're getting at. Yeah, I mean, it's just terrible. So, uh, I like the Eagles a lot, so I'm going to lock them up. Fly, Eagles, fly. I don't hate that at all. Next one we got is an interesting, a really interesting one. Indianapolis Colts off one of the biggest wins of the NFL season. They go up to Buffalo last week and absolutely destroy the Colts. As we highlighted earlier, Jonathan Taylor, all-time fantasy performance. The Colts are good. And I know his Carson Wentz has looked bad this year at times, but it's really kind of an optical illusion. He's actually taken better care of the football than any quarterback in the NFL minus two. I believe the only other one is I think Tannehill, actually. I'd have to go back and look this up. He's a top three quarterback in terms of lack of turnovers. I know that's not a real stat, but turnover ratio, whatever that is for quarterbacks, he's top three quarterback. Problem is when he does turn it over, it looks horrendous. He has the dumb interception where he like throws it with his offhand as he's getting sacked and right into the alignment's gut. But he's protected the football well, and they're playing great football. They I mean, we got to remember, they choked that weird game away on Monday night football against the Ravens that they should have won. They had a crushing defeat against the Titans that they should have won. They had a missed field goal loss at home against that wasn't Seattle. I can't remember who it was. Doesn't matter. They're five and five and they're a hell of a lot better than that. They're plus three at home against the Tampa Bay Bucks, who have looked really weak at times defensively. It's more of a secondary thing for them. So this might not be the worst matchup, but I actually am going to take the Colts plus three at home here and lock it. Yeah, I like the Colts, too. I'm just going to, you know, not lock it, but I, I like the Colts the way they're running the ball and uh, playing defense. And, you know, uh, that's a big win going into Foxborough. And oh, that's being a huge a, win. Being a touchdown uh, underdog and, you know, actually winning the game handily. So they're, not like total, the, they're not totally uh, out of this division either. You know, you thought yeah. when Tennessee went in there and beat them for the second time early on in the season, Tennessee has his locked up. They probably still do. I think the Titans actually weird, still weirdly may end up as the one seed. But, man, you lose a couple more games, particularly this one in Foxborough that you're probably going to lose and let the Colts win again, that's going to get real, real tight real quick. So keep an eye on that. I like the Colts there. Maybe we're riding the momentum wave too much, but I think they're playing good football, and uh, I think they're going to be a really tough team that probably wins a playoff game, if we're being completely honest. Um, Oh, God, here's the awesome one. Jacksonville Falcons. Cool. Two of our arch gambling nemesis. Is nemesis is a word, multiple nim and I. <laughs> we, both of them are our arch nemesis. It is yeah. Jacksonville in Jacksonville plus one. Oh, God. I'll let you go first on this. Uh, I mean, I, I cannot believe I talked real highly about Jacksonville last week. So uh, I'm just going to keep it very basic and just take Atlanta because. I told myself I'd never bet Atlanta, so I'll bet Atlanta. You mean the Atlanta team that's been outscored like 64 to 7 the last couple of weeks? Uh, yeah. Man, this is probably the worst game of all of, of the year, probably. It's got to be. Take the under. From a degenerate gambling perspective, this is going to, this will make, if they bet on it, they will, this will make more people mad perhaps in any game this year. <laughs> yeah, I agree, man. What a terrible, I mean, like, Unless you have a, a, a big bottle of wine or whatever, or, you know, this, yeah, I, I would just try to stay clear of this game. This is almost when you throw 50 bucks on it just to be like, you know what? I want to experience this roller coaster. <laughs> I'll go Falcons coaster. as well. Whatever. I can't do the Jags. Um, Miami Dolphins plus two at home 
against the Carolina Panthers. As we outlined last week, Miami goes into uh, the New York and hands their business against the Jets. They're four and seven, and they get the Jets and the Giants back to back after this if they can survive Carolina. And that would mean they are, if they beat Carolina and then handle their business against these two disaster New York teams, that means you're once one and seven Miami Dolphins are now seven and seven and right in the thick of it in the AFC playoff hunt. So this is a huge swing game for the Miami Dolphins who have been playing better football of late. They're plus two at home. I got to say, I'm locking the Dolphins here. I'm going to go plus two. I don't think this is a question. I think Cam's look good in spots, but I just, I have a hard time believing that Cam Newton coming off the street is going to give Carolina any sustainable success. This might be my lock lock of the week. Miami Dolphins plus two at home all over it. Yeah, I like the Dolphins too. I'm just going to, you know, keep it short and simple. You know, uh, just Carolina, you know, uh, Cam Newton, there's no telling what kind of hat he's going to wear after the game. But with that being said, it's probably going to be a goofy hat. But uh, I like I like uh, the Dolphins. They're in a good spot, you know. Uh, it just gives gives shows the amount of character on that team. You know, they were one and seven, and they're battling back, and they're you know uh, a, a spot game away from uh, going seven and seven. If you ever needed any uh, any more ammunition to fade me to hammer the Panthers, because I'm not sure if I've been confident in something in a long time as I've been as confident in the Dolphins to win that game outright, and you're giving me two points. Bengals, Steelers, classic AFC North football, as Ben Roethlisberger once said after these two teams tried to kill each other on a Monday night that almost made Sean McDonough cry. Uh, on a more serious note, I think that was the Ryan Shazier game, but if you remember that, that was when Juju cheap-shotted Vontez Burfitt, which if anyone oh, yeah. ever deserved a cheap shot, it was him, and like things got out of control. Someone asked Big Ben after it after the game, and he just goes, oh, it's AFC, AFC North football. It was like nine dudes got concussed and carried off. Um Anyway, Cincinnati coming off a huge win in Vegas last week. We talked about a lot of things being able to go wrong in Vegas. Cincinnati survived it. Minus four at home against the Steelers. Steelers probably could have, should have, would have. There's a ton of ways to look at that Sunday night game against the Chargers last week. They were lucky to be in it. Then they get up, and they were kind of unfortunate to lose it. Cincinnati minus four. I don't know if I trust the Bengals in this spot yet. This feels like a God. Mike Tomlin kind of pulls Zach Taylor's pants down. I like the Bengals a lot, but I think I'm going Steelers plus four. Yeah, I'm just going to agree with you. I, I like I like the Steelers here. As much as I like Joe Burrow and the, as much as the, the Bengals uh, with that big win against the Raiders last week, I just, I just don't trust them yet. So uh, I don't know why I'm taking the Steelers with you, but I'm going to take them with you. Getting into the late window, we're going Denver Broncos at home plus three against the L.A. Chargers. Chargers hold off the um, the Chargers. Who did the Chargers beat last week? I'm just going blank. Oh, they held off the Steelers. We were just talking about it. There was a game where it was like, oh, my God, the Chargers are inventing new ways to lose. This is kind of beyond comprehension at this point. Herbert throws the big touchdown pass. They're on the road, which they literally figuratively were last week in their own stadium. They were literally on the road this week at Denver. I got to say, it's Chargers minus three. I don't love the Chargers minus three here. I'd probably go Chargers minus – I go Chargers money line at plus uh, – excuse me, at minus 145 here. But uh, I'm not a believer in Denver. Denver's burned me too many times this year. I'm going to go Chargers minus three here. Yeah, man. I, I like Denver at home for some strange reason. I think they play good at home. I know that last home game against uh, Philadelphia didn't go so well. But, uh, you know, they, they play uh, – they play their division rivals real tough at home. So let me uh, let me see if uh, a field goal wins this game. So 
I'm going to take Denver with the points. Two fantastic late games to close out this window before we get to the Sunday night and Monday night game. Uh, Niners-Vikings, two teams playing really good football. The Niners had that backup against the wall game on Monday night last week against the uh, Rams, and they win that game. They go and destroy Jacksonville on the road. Minnesota Vikings, after a road win at L.A. two weeks ago uh, against the Chargers, come home and beat Aaron Rodgers last week where it looked like they were going to blow it. They got up. Game got tied. They were leading the whole game. Game gets tied. Kirk Cousins looks like he throws a back-breaking pick. Upon further review, the defender did not complete the process of the interception or process of the catch, however you want to look at it. They go down and score and win the game. Kirk Cousins' raw numbers, as they always are, are pretty damn good. He actually surpassed Aaron Rodgers all time with 300-yard-plus multi-touchdown games. He has 25 of those. Rodgers has 24 uh, in the classic, my God, your eyeballs tell you a different story stat. It is Minnesota plus three and a half at home against the 49ers. Niners have not been good at home. They're one and three, I believe, this year at home, maybe one and four. I'm actually going to lock the Minnesota Vikings money line. How about that? I'm locking Minnesota plus 150 to win this game outright. The Minnesota Vikings are the only team in the NFL to lead every game they played in by seven points this year. How about that stat? Wow, that's a pretty impressive stat. Um, I just, man, I, I like San Francisco. They're playing really good ball right now. And, uh, you know, I know they're not uh, playing good at home, but we'll, ta- we'll take a shot with them at home and uh, roll the dice with them. The Colts are the AFC version of whichever one of these teams wins this game. By that, I mean, if like the Colts win this game against the Bucks this week, they're, everyone's going to be like, wow, watch out for the Colts, like not only for the division, talking about stealth Super Bowl contender. There will be a little bit of like watch out for these guys in the playoffs upon whoever wins this game. And honestly, I think the Vikings have a better roster and a better team. So I think they win this game and you start talking about the Vikings, like, you know, look what they could have been. They've led every single game. They've choked a few away. I, there, there'll be a lot of buzz coming out of this game out of whoever wins this one. Uh, last one, Packers at home coming off a tough loss against the Vikings. I think the Packers are still fine. That's a tough game. Division games are always weird. Kirk Cousins played really well. They're a pick em against the Niners coming off a bye, or excuse me, against the Rams coming off a bye. So it's Packers, Rams, in Lambeau. People are going to start calling the Rams frauds if they lose this game. I'm a Stafford Cooper Cup fantasy owner. This is a tough one for me. Man, I want to go the uh, the Rams here, but the smart play is the Packers, particularly if they're not getting any points. I'm going Packers at home. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, man, Aaron Rodgers has got to be one of the most confusing professional athletes of all time. I mean, you know, like, is he really hurt or is he really not hurt or is he just doesn't want to practice? Um, he – it sounds like he really wants to get out of Green Bay, but uh, man, whenever he didn't play that one game, Jordan Love looked awful, and uh, I'm pretty sure Packer fans are like, "Give him the key to the city, you know, so he can stay." So, I, I think I think uh, Aaron Rodgers just gets it done, man. He's a he's a he's a gamer, and uh, nothing against Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford. They played really well football this year, and uh, you know, and the and the Rams have been you know sneaky good at times, but. I just think Lambeau at home, it's just tough tough to win there. I'm going to take the Green Bay Packers. I agree. I just don't fully trust the Rams yet, to be completely honest. And I, I wish I could, but I just can't do it. Sunday Night Football, an awesome one here. Man, this is a great NFL slate this week. Browns, Ravens, 
Ravens, Lamar Jackson gets some sort of stomach issue or a cold last week where he gets scratched last minute. They win the game with Brett Hundley against the uh, against the Bears on the road, which probably cemented Matt Nagy's fate. We have Baker Mayfield pretty hurt. I don't really know why they're not going with Case Keenum, but whatever. It is Ravens minus three and a half in Baltimore on Sunday night football. This is going to be a good one. Yeah, I like the Ravens here. Uh, just, you know, Lamar Jackson uh, back healthy. And, you know, it's it's fun to watch him uh, play. So, I just think uh, the Ravens are tough at home. So, I'm just going to go with the home team here. This is a fascinating one because you think of Ravens being a pretty good defense because not only what they've been, you know, historically since their franchise's inception, but the last three years they've been a pretty stout defense. They've actually been very bad and very bad against the run, which makes me think with the healthy Nick Chubb, healthy Kareem Hunt, the Browns could come in, this game gets up like weird 14-3 early, and you're like, how did they win this game? But I'm actually with you. I'm going to go with the Ravens minus three and a half. I'm going to take the coaching mismatch here and uh, the healthy quarterback, to be completely honest. So I'm going Ravens minus three and a half. Monday Night Football, to wrap up just an absolute feast of a week, we get a uh, pretty terrible dessert. Washington football team against the Seattle Seahawks. It is Washington football team minus one. At home. And I got to tell you, Greg, I'm using my last lock here. I'm going to the Washington football team. Seattle's having the year from hell. They couldn't beat the Cardinals with the backup quarterback last week with Colt McCoy. That defense stinks. The offense doesn't make any sense. You got Pete Carroll, the coolest guy, calmest guy in the world, like kind of shorting press conferences. This feels like it's going to get out of control. And the Washington football team with this win, I believe, might get to – I can't remember if it's five and six or six and six, but they'll be back in the NFC playoff hunt as Ron Rivera team seem like they are every year. Um, I love the Washington football team in this spot. Yeah, I'm going to lock it. Uh, I like Washington with the lock here. I mean, I just watched that Seattle game last week, and, uh, you know, it just seems like re- Seattle might need to keep DK Metcalf and just press the refresh button and see what they can get for for um, for Russell Wilson. But I, I, I just like the Washington at home uh, on Monday night a lot. That's for sure. That has been week 12 in the NFL. It's flying by. College football season already done. We're 13 weeks through that, but we got uh, we got the dessert version of college football. Next week, we'll get to some conference championship games before we do our bowl extravaganza. I've enjoyed it, dude. Uh, likewise, every week, and we will uh, be back next week. I appreciate the time. As always. All right, that's our show. I appreciate you guys listening. I hope you have a great, wonderful Thanksgiving. If you're traveling right now, safe travels. Thanks for uh, making this show a part of your traveling journey. I hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving weekend. We'll be back at you on Friday. So we've still given you three shows for the people this week. Tons of Egg Bowl reaction. Then Weldon and I will have our normal, probably Sunday. Yeah, no, definitely normal Sunday marathon. Probably more of a college football season wrap-up as the game will, we've already, we will already have discussed that on friday so be on the lookout for that have a wonderful weekend don't do anything i wouldn't do or do i can't control you folks out there you're all adults and we will talk to you again on friday